You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Learn more at wearelibertarians.com. The Boss Hog of Liberty podcast is the latest hit on the We Are Libertarians Network. Each week, Jeremiah Morrill and Dakota Davis explore life in Henry County, Indiana. It's a show about our circle of friends, public officials, and our experiences. 80% observation, life, humor, and 20% politics. Boss Hog of Liberty is the day-to-day happenings of Henry County, Indiana, which is just like your community. Add us on iTunes and sample us today. Dear Leader would want you to. Hey there, Liberty lovers. This is Mark Clare of the Lions of Liberty podcast, where we strive to bring you great conversations about the ideas of liberty three days a week, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Check us out at lionsofliberty.com. Hey guys, this is Roger Paxton, and if you're fed up with the government running every single aspect of your life, but you're not listening to the Lava Flow podcast yet, then what's wrong with you? Check us out at thelavaflow.com, or just go back to sucking up to the government. The Lava Flow podcast, striking the root every single episode. Hey, Liberty Rockers, this is Johnny Rocket from the Johnny Rocket Launchpad. Each week, I strive to bring you the best guests in talk radio. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad delivers weekly interviews of noteworthy politicians, economists, and activists. The Johnny Rocket Launchpad is bringing the party to the Libertarian Party and launching ideas in your direction. Check it out at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com or find us on iTunes. Each show is action-packed, explicit, and a lot of fun. So join me at johnnyrocketlaunchpad.com every week for the newest episode. Keep liberty alive and rock and roll. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle. We bring you all of the irreverence modern politics deserves while putting people before political parties. We examine current events from a libertarian perspective with the goal of leaving you better informed. Please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, and subscribe on Patreon at wearelibertarians.com. In exchange for supporting our program, we give you all kinds of bonus content. Uh, Please be warned that this show is raw, unedited, and authentic, so the language is sometimes strong and offensive. I am the vocally strained Chris Spangle, coming off of two weeks of laryngitis, and I am joined by two chatty people who will carry us through the day. (laughs) First, uh, one of the original co-hosts, Chris Galt. How are you? Great. Don't act like you don't have a lot to talk about. Oh, I have a a lot to say. Oh, yeah. I don't have a lot of ability to say it. Uh, We'll get it out of you. Yeah, and then uh, (laughs) Reinhold joins us again. Reinhold, how are you? I am doing well. All right. um, Reinhold Uppity, we walked into a Fiji water. trying to be a a good... Yes, to not assume <laughs> that I'm just going to suck all your water down. You, well, as we all know, water's very important to me. Um, and I, expensive. Uh, well, not here. I have free water. You have free water? I just uh, run it through the Brita filter. Wow. What? So why aren't you just filling up jugs and running them 
to Flint, Michigan and helping people. Like <laughs> because I don't care. Go out to do the something. Creek and just put some jugs in the water there and bring it back. Go in. water the plants in California. You know man. what? We know what Harry would say. <laughs> if you have about free this. water, you can save the world. <laughs> now I went to uh, Detroit this past uh, earlier this week on uh, Tuesday and and Wednesday, <laughs> and uh, drove by Flint. Didn't even stop. I did. I just drove right by it. <laughs> Didn't stop to help the people. Unbelievable. Mm. And you have free so water. Fresh. Just like a typical libertarian, cared only about myself. Living in your own reality. I had eight <laughs> bottles of water in my bag, and that's not a joke. Fiji water? Well, I uh, see, so so I drink about um, a gallon, gallon and a half of water a day. On race day, <laughs> where you walk, I walked 10 miles, and yeah. I was out in the heat from 7 to 7. Uh, I drank 2.64 gallons of water. Wow. <laughs> Because nice. I just constantly sucking it down, I, but at the end of the day, I felt great. Yep, I felt like a million bucks after all that exercise. And everyone else around you was dead. Dead. And he just, and he just couldn't tell anybody. They didn't drink that. any water. Uh, our, my friend <laughs> Hannah was in town, and she was on the pullout couch here, just like l- crashed dead because she was dehydrated and uh, p- perhaps overserved. Uh, maybe that's <laughs> the way to put it. She had had a little bit much. Of, yeah, a uh, little too much Hawaiian punch uh, from the little. And not guys. enough water. Yeah, not enough water. But no, I I drink. Uh, uh, I have Nalgene bottles, thirty two, and I've got a forty eight ounce because uh, I roll like that. Took took two of those, and then I took eight bottles of twenty ounce bottles of water out there with me. Didn't even stop. Plastic bottles? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, just, I stole them from work. What uh, what brand? Uh, I don't know. Some not the sun. Hinkley, Hinkley. Oh. Hinkley Springs. Hinkley Springs water. Not, not sure what it is. It's <laughs> probably from Ohio, and it's from Dayton, Ohio's water supply. I, I just drove right past Flint. I didn't even offer, offer. I got to Farmington Hills, didn't offer a single person water there. Uh, just uncaring. Wow. Thanks for calling me out on it. Wow. Uh, great meetings. Got to. See, I went to uh, uh, downtown Detroit. I got to see beautiful downtown Detroit. <laughs> is it beautiful? No, <laughs> it's the biggest piece of garbage town I've ever seen. Oh, uh, but Toledo's lovely. I had no expectations of Toledo, and Toledo was clean and you beautiful. Went to both? I, yep. Oh, it's, wow. it's wonderful there when the lake is not on fire. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah, the river. I went in the Fisher Building, uh, in the like where the original GM part was, and then the Fisher Building. Beautiful, beautiful place. But Detroit uh, downtown, not not the greatest. But I did have amazing chicken and waffles. Nice. The, the trip across the bridge is pretty nice. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Over to clean Canada. Eh? Uh, so, yes. I know you went there. You met with them. All the fun stuff happens. <laughs> Shut too. You're their yeah. insider. Shut your dirty mouth. <laughs> so, I apologize for the infrequency of the episodes. Uh, you probably can't, thanks to processing <laughs> and, and increased gain, hear it too much, uh, but if I were to talk in my normal voice, this is how it would sound. So I'm kind of straining a little bit, so I'm not going to be able to talk. I've had laryngitis, so I went on that Vegas trip early uh, March 12th or May 12th, and then got some sort of creeping crud on the plane on the way back, and then got really sick, lost my voice, uh, couldn't make a sound for like four days. Couldn't do the podcast. Well, you heard at the last episode we did. I mean, you were here, Reinhold. My voice by the end of it was shot. And yeah, we could have gone another hour or two on that discussion. Uh, of course, <laughs> but my I, I was in so much pain. Yeah, it was, it was getting really bad at the end. Yeah, I mean, it started off really well. Yeah, but I, I still, I've I had a sore throat every single day. It's, it's been really rough, and it kind of makes you go, ooh, man, it really is important to have a voice when you're podcasting. 
Or working radio. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of people do those YouTube videos, and they just have the computer read it. You know, I, that's like the thing now. <laughs> I, I don't understand it. But I just need I'm, to, I'm an old guy. Maybe it's just me. I just need to upgrade Harry's chips. So when I type <laughs> in, he says what repeats what I say, uh, implying Harry's a robot, but he's not. Uh, so we are. I've got a lot of a lot to say. Uh, not a lot of ability to say it, but I've got a lot to talk about. Uh, it was. I want to start with this. I, I would say that it was really good for me personally to have so much downtime because I, I have been working my butt off uh, on the show a, a really hard since, let's say, late October. <laughs> uh, yeah, we can tell. Reasons. Yeah. I've it's been, been good. Right. I've been working really hard on the show, doing a lot of reading, and I really dove in and just kind of was like, all right, well, the next six months have to, of the show have to be really good. Uh, and, I, and I think I, I want to just kind of talk about a little revelation here for about a couple minutes. Um, that was a really rough time for me, uh, far rougher than I let on and far more stuff happened than we talked about. Um, but that's irrelevant. Uh, but it was a, to distract myself from it, I really dove in and did a lot of work on the show and got a little too tight on stuff and tried to do a little too much. And I think part of the reason that I got so sick is the amount of stress and when you hold on to stuff, it's just not good. Mm-hmm. And friend, like that friend came into town, long conversations that weekend, a Memorial Day weekend, and I kind of realized, like, I'm holding on way too tight. I'm not having as much fun on the show. I think that reflects a little bit the the the, the balance of what we used to call autism and <laughs> comedy. We used to do more comedy and less autism, uh, which I will call knowledge uh, now because, you know, after talking to people like that's not a really nice thing to say. Uh, and you you have to for this to work. It's really about having a relaxed discussion and an ensemble with friends. Uh, and I have tried to not really let anybody other than Harry, who I trust implicitly, not let anybody on more than once a week. <laughs> you know, I'm so a lot of mental stupid shit that I, that I had to let go of. And so it was a really nice break to kind of let go of that and then really um, uh, get in touch with why I love doing this because it's fun. It's fun to hang out with friends. Mm-hmm. It's fun to research. It's fun to talk to you guys. You know, the pa- best thing about the Patreon is the uh, ability to talk to the audience. And, and I firmly believe that had we not had the Patreon – which gave me the connection to the audience to, you know, a hundred of our hardest core followers. I don't think I would still be doing We Are Libertarians. I think that was such a big blow to me that I would have stopped doing the show. But having those Patreon supporters, especially, and having you guys write in and tell you how much you enjoy the show, uh, when, when I personally wasn't all that, um, I was motivated to do it, but I wasn't. I was doing it begrudgingly. It was a second job for about the last four months. But you keep going because there's so many people that do enjoy it, and then eventually you snap out of your dumb mood, and then you go, oh, I really love doing this. So I want to say a thank you to anybody that's written in. And I do this all the time, but it really means so much to me. Uh, If you wrote in, if you are part of our Facebook group, if you are part of our Discord, if you are part of our Patreon supporters, you have had such a huge impact on me in a positive way, uh, not just the last six months, but over over the course of time, 
that I, I truly do appreciate it. Um, and then going up to Detroit and, and doing stuff for my day job and really engaging in in the radio world and digital world and so, some of those conversations, like, I don't know, I'm really invigorated. I'm really excited to be here. I'm really excited to do this. I, I started working on some new projects that I just kind of shelved for a while mm-hmm. uh, and really excited to kind of to to get back behind the microphone. I've been, for the past week, I've just been like... I don't know. I hadn't done it for a couple of weeks, and then we did that episode, and I just felt so relaxed afterwards. Mm-hmm. And then, and then I, now I'm just all pent up again. So, <laughs> really excited to to sit, to get back and just kind of say, "Hey, I'm 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 gonna lighten up a little bit. Uh, still keep making sure that I'm doing the reading. I consider myself a professional reader, and then this is the output. Uh, but you know, kind of having a little more fun. Uh, so." Can't promise that's going to happen tonight, though. Uh, oh yeah, you invited the two funnest people on. Oh, bla- you're a blast! <laughs> no one's more fun than Chris Galt. People say it to me all the time. How do you have so much fun with Chris Galt? Can't you just ask him not to come over anymore? Just oh, seriously, wow. ask him not to come around anymore. He's too much fun. <laughs> well, now you just you're getting rid of the one a week rule. So uh, I can come over all the time. All now, the time. Right? Every oh yeah, I'll be here every day. Well, I was just kind of like. <laughs> Weekdays. I, I think if you're in my position and you consider somebody so integral to the show, and then they're not there anymore, and you're real uh, like upset about it, you go, "I'm never going to put myself in that position again." Right. Yeah, you know. And there was trepidation even with Harry, who is fundamentally one of the most decent human beings alive. You know, so you just go, "All right, grit my teeth a little bit." So, uh, you know, I uh, I've kind of atrophied the group a little bit. You know, and we've had over the course of this thirty, forty people who've rotated on yeah. over the course of the the podcast. Bigger and, than I ever imagined. Uh, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. Yeah, when it was just the three of us in twenty twelve. Yeah. So we're we're down to half a dozen uh, people that I feel like I can call at any time, and you know, and, yeah. and so I just need to recruit a little bit and and get people uh, back on here. But a lot of it is just it's hard to find interesting and funny especially in libertarians because you can find funny people or you can find libertarians <laughs> they're not usually in the same breath yeah so so yeah uh so anyways not not much point to this other than just to say thank you um while we were gone i i, I don't know about you two but i feel like the bullshit meter is pegging a 12 on a scale of 10. Oh, man. Like, opening up social media over the last month, but specifically the last four weeks, I feel like we're on a tear where the amount of outrage over dumb things has really peaked. Like, oh, yeah. we're really at a tipping point. It can't people, get worse than this. People want to be outraged. Yeah. It's, it's like the looking for things. Please, yeah. please, uh, say something that I can get outraged about. Like... Roseanne, Samantha B. You know, all just well, just Donald Donald Trump makes an offhanded comment. Oh, it's a constitutional crisis. Oh, Sean Hannity. (laughs) Right. Oh, it's just anything to be mad about. That's gay case. You can't even make a joke anymore. Um, That used to be what comedy was: was offending people. Well, most comedians and now are saying that they they, can't they don't do know it. where to go. They can't do it anymore. No, yep. it's it's impossible. I work in the Judy Gold said she's not doing colleges anymore, and she's one of the most liberal. Uh, Comedians I know, yeah. and she's like, I can't, I can't go there and make a joke. I, it's not, it's not worth it. Hardcore liberal comedians are not, haven't been going to college campuses for about four years now. Mm-hmm. That started when I started at at the day job, which is a comedy show. 
Uh-oh. We're, we're, <laughs> uh-oh. we're slowing down a little. <laughs> All right. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, let's, let's start with uh, the, the outrage and start picking some of this. Let me start here. Um, I, I really started thinking a lot about how we got here. Uh, when a friend came into town on Saturday, and uh, we we went walking around downtown, and so we decided to meet up at the Indiana War Memorial downtown. And she's it's my normal hangout spot too. Yeah, she's from Atlanta. She's visiting the state and was like, "Hey, I want to see Indy." So, of course, I took her to a war memorial. Um, <laughs> but she's she was a nerd and wanted to see it. So. If she didn't want to pull it down. No, <laughs> you've been if you've been to the Indiana War Memorial. We have the second. The real great side. Yeah, we have the sar- second largest amount of memorials after Washington D.C. And we have this one that looks like a giant pyramid. And you go in there, and it is the most beautiful marble you've ever seen in the world. And then you go up to the top, and it's a sanctum. It's a sanctuary, and it is these enormous marble columns with. Uh, a large marble tomb, large marble walls, uh, portraits of World War One generals on the wall, uh, s- civic sayings on the on, on uh, sculpted, and it's just like a really weird out of place. Have either of you been in it? I have. What What do you not been in What it. do you think of it? I I mean I actually enjoy the the feeling that you are in there. It's, it's like a I mean it's a step out of where you're at, right? In right. The hubbub and the things going on but it is a, a real good tribute to the the sacrifices that people gave to the country and especially from here and it's it, it's just got this serene feeling to it it's mm-hmm. a it's just like a whole different it makes you very much realize that life that's going on right now is is not as serious as as people are making it out to be this was built uh 1928 mm-hmm. so about 90 years ago and she just looks at me and she goes, how did this get built? Because I think people who are our age, or I mean, Chris's age, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> who are in their 20s and 30s are used to very antiseptic, drywall, you know, very, mm-hmm. you know, it's like you watch, walk in that Fisher building in Detroit, just Google it and look at the entrance or Google the Indiana War Memorial Sanctuary to see what we're talking about. And you just go... How did how did our society at a time when we had far less resources and money build something like this? Because people were dedicated to doing it. When well, you when you get people dedicated to doing something, you accomplish anything. It's getting people together to do it. It's the it's the hard part, right? So, I just I I looked at it and I said I think it's because we had less government and we had more social clubs. And I started really kind of thinking about the role of social clubs, uh, and obviously we won't get into all the social clubs of the 20s in Indiana, uh, but, uh, you know, the Odd Fellows, the Masons, the, um, uh, the, uh, the Rotary, the Lions Club. Indiana had a very strong uh, club society. Uh, we had a very strong religious network of people. You know, I went. We went to uh, a couple churches, and there was the Italian church, the poor white trash church where my grandma went. There was the mm-hmm. y- y- so the Scottish right. The Scottish right. You have 
in, in Indianapolis and much like in your town a hundred years ago, you know, she at one point looked at me and she goes, and let me ask you guys this question. If you are not political and you are not religious, how do you make friends offline in 2018? What advice would you give someone who is oh, man. non-religious, non-political? At your job. Trying to make friends at your job. Okay. <laughs> That's about it. A bar? <laughs> okay. Well, those are a couple different ways. The internet? Oh, well, you said Farmers no Farmers markets. Uh, there's nothing. Just, there's, there's all kinds of clubs going on today. Mm-hmm. It's nobody's going out and looking for them. Or I mean, They organize online, which helps it. So you can go to Facebook and get into a little grouping of people. What I... I mean, the, the thing we can say stuff about the internet and how things were kind of better before it, but growing up in that time, it wasn't easy to make friends and do stuff. Like right. I, I lived in a, a rural area, and I grew up as a nerd, and I was really kind of the only one. There wasn't very. I was there was twenty five or forty people in my graduating class, right? Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a lot of people in my school, which is how you make friends out there. Um, and I was very, very much into nerd things Mm -hmm. and I didn't have the internet to go, Oh, there are other people like me. But I think we're also talking about what the eighties. Yeah, it was a, it was seventies. So my grandfather was, was big in these clubs in the fifties and Mm sixties. You know, he, he, car clubs and things like that. He went to go play cards at the lions or the Mm -hmm. Rotarians. And I just said there was a time in this city, in this country, where people, because they didn't have a dependence on government, hmm. they would go out and they would network together in these clubs and they would rally around values and principles and in some case interests. But in a lot of ways, you know, things like the Salvation Army, the Rotarians, these are about around principles, values, morals – Bigger ideas. Um, now, I'm not going to... Uh, not always no, for the good. No, sure. <laughs> no, I mean, there's the Klan, for instance. Um, you know, but you had these these groups where people networked together, and ha- they were kind of forced to network together personally because they didn't have the government to rely on, and they didn't have uh, the Internet to organize them. Uh, and communities used to take care of themselves, too. Sure. I mean, you knew who your neighbor was. They, right. Your neighbor needed help, whether you agreed with them or you had disputes with them. They needed help. You took care of it. So, And so the outspring of that are things like these memorials and these and these big buildings. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that we in this generation need to build those things. But it it <clears throat> then you have the collapse of those social groups in the 50s. They start to dwindle in the 40s and 50s. Uh, and... Then that's replaced by church. That's replaced by everybody goes to church. The idea of a Christian America was really invented post-World War II because the idea of a Christian America, it was used to counterbalance godless atheist communism. And it was used to drive people uh, – drive the, the perception that we were a moral people and they were bad people and so we need to uh, – enact the domino theory and keep people from uh, – keep those countries from falling communist. So you then build this strong fabric of, of church society, and that, that carries on into the 90s and into the megachurch uh, movement. But once you get to our generation, you know, the the idea of going to church is not something that most of us want to do. The idea of joining a social club is not something that most people want to do. 
Yeah. Any kind of group that you join is political, or maybe you're in a religious group, or maybe it's around some sort of consumer hobby. You know, a hobby where you buy stuff to support that habit. Essential oils. Essential oils. <laughs> Gen Con. Uh, you know, gaming, like for instance. Game, yeah. There aren't those groups out there. How many people actually sit down and think about the higher ideas of life? Think about their place in the world. Think about the purpose that they have in life. Uh, you know, if you're if you're in a Masonic group a hundred years ago, it's all about examining your place in the world and how can you improve your community. Now, when we look back on history, we romanticize it, and that's a problem. Okay, so let's say twenty percent of the population was part of these groups. You know, I don't know, but it's they were very they were much more prominent, and there were many more opportunities for people to have face to face contact with other human beings. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that post divorce, we are libertarians save my life, and I don't mean that in any over exaggerated way. The I hadn't really established a connection with my family like I have now, uh, and this group of people became my family. Uh, and the social circle that we formed around We Are Libertarians 2013 to now has served, I think, for many of us who are involved, the 20 people who are pretty intimately involved, uh, and then spinning off into things like Boss Hog of Liberty and, and creating a community there, th that's been incredibly important for my life. You know, for the times when you weren't fired, your life, you know, <laughs> things like the discord, you know, Reinhold is somebody that I had met previously, but now we're friends and it's because of the discord. But we organized around this principle of libertarianism, this value system uh, and started organizing people. But we didn't really become good friends or friendly until we started hanging out in person and seeing each other in person. Yeah. And so I think the loss of... But don't, it, don't it, you think that is a club? We Are Libertarians is definitely a club. Yeah. Absolutely. And so I there think, are more clubs than ever, really. And I think... They just use the internet to organize. Yeah, I think people like Christy Avery. I yeah. mean, Christy Avery has become a person that I talk to every morning. She is so sweet. She messages me every morning and says, good morning. <laughs> become, become a dear, 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 dear friend. You know, I, I think... And by extension, you listening... Uh, you are dipping your toe into that friend circle. You develop an affinity for us and think about your place in the world because you were a, an active listener to this conversation that we have. Mm -hmm. And I think the world is a worse place because over the last 20 years, we have really stopped engaging in a personal way. I think the... 200,000, 300,000 years of human evolution, of human history where we talked in small groups face-to-face -face, has been uh, pretty successful for the human animal. Mm -hmm. And in the 20 years that we've actively moved away from that have been in some ways very good, but in some ways very bad. And I think we've lost the ability to talk to each other. Uh, yeah. not, not, and again, it's not like the 80s or the 70s were a bastion of feel good everybody loves each other there were there were hundreds of bombings and ter it, domestic terrorist attacks in well, the late 60s early 70s all the clubs you're talking about were very 
were created mostly to be exclusionary. Absolutely. Right. So there's, 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 there's those no doubt. Right. Now, I think there's a lot of benefit from us being more connected technologically so that, like, in my case where I, w- I grew up and there was really nobody like me around, I could now go out and find people like that right? and be able to communicate with them and everything else. But it's, it's you remove that face-to-faceness. And when you're talking to somebody online – it's not the same mm-hmm. as a face-to-face conversation. There's things you will say to people and attitudes you will have towards people online that you would never do face-to-face. Mm-hmm. So that mm-hmm. becomes the bad side you know, of that, that you're now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Communicating with people who are still going to take that in. You're, you're being more, there are people who are more divisive, more mean, more angry, mm-hmm. because they have that protection of anonymity and space. There, there are studies that the reason road rage exists is that people don't see humans in a car. They see an inanimate object in a car and rage at it. Right. Well, it's the same thing with politics now is that hmm. what people do is they declare that the the other side is not the human. Enemy. They see them as unhuman people. So, they, so they, they're able to focus rage and energy on them that they would never focus on anybody they knew face-to-face. Yeah. So So – we're going to talk about the left and right uh, tonight. I mean, the right because and wrong in the, the right and wrong. <laughs> uh, Reinhold James Nee says Reinhold top Discord autist in terms of post count. I don't know what that means. But, <laughs> yeah, uh, but I'm still uh, still not number one on the Discord because they include the Duck Hunt channel into the experience points oh. calculation. So I'm not well, get one. rid of the Duck Duck Hunt channel here. Get nuke it. No, no, thank you. Well, no, just, no, no, thank you. you just just thought, delete it. I thought Get you were like Delete so favorite, so loving of that place. No, no, no. no. I am gone. I'm banned from it. No, he, he just he just dropped the hammer. It's gone. Better be gone when the show's over. So, so um, I, I don't know how to because we're we're at a point where discussing things somehow mean that you agree with things or you disagree with things, like uh, having I, a conversation. Mm-hmm. Somehow, and, and a, a huge part of this is Trump, and, and I posted this because I really kind of clarified it. I think we're at a point where we've given Trump exactly what Trump wants. Mm-hmm. Trump is the lodestar of American society. Everything is judged based on your opinion of Donald Trump. Well, and I think it, the biggest telling of that. And it has devolved into grunts of, you like Trump or not like Trump? You not like Trump like me? We friends. You enemy. Like, I think we have devolved into we, – we've wow. completely gotten rid of all of the complexity of human society. You take something like the kneeling issue, for instance. There's a complex issue there. Colin Kaepernick sucked. He got benched. He got pissed and sat on the bench during the national anthem. Then when he was called out on it, made up a story about police brutality. Does he believe it? I'm sure he believes it. But that's the origin of the story. That's a, an, an inherently pro-conservative side fact is the debate about systemic racism in police departments towards black people. Statistically verifiably true and wrong. Point. Liberals. Uh, 
Donald Trump comes in and he turns the conversation away from that inconvenient, difficult conversation towards you don't support the soldiers. Completely unattached to the entire narrative. Uh, and then everybody ends up arguing, do you support – Do does Colin Kaepernick support the soldiers or not? He He does. Colin Kaepernick started kneeling because a soldier said, hey, dude, it's disrespectful for you to sit. He said, okay, I'll compromise. I'll kneel. Again, a complex, inconvenient fact totally lost in that you probably haven't heard anywhere else because nobody can have a discussion about any of this without someone interrupting 13 words in and going, do you agree with me or not? And I think that we're at such a point in society where everybody's fighting about Roseanne and Samantha B and kneeling and gay cakes because we don't have a secure notion of our own identity, our own purpose in the world. Uh, I think people like Jordan Peterson are becoming popular because he's asking people in a polite way to examine that. He's challenging them to think about their beliefs. And that's why he catches on. And Trump has – we have to stop giving Trump what he wants. But you know, here's Jordan Peterson who's doing good in the world by asking people to examine their what they think and how they behave and realize there's consequences to your words. Every tweet could be life or death for someone. You're, you're su- submitting approval or disapproval to the hive mind that eventually has power to rob people of their life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But how does the left take Dr. Jordan Peterson? Oh, my friend. My friend watches Jordan Peterson. What should I do? Who this should is, I tell? This is a Dear Abby letter to to the nation. The nation. Um, I'm going to have you read the letter, Galt, so I can rest my voice. Just a All moment. Right. I can read. Uh, pretend you're a girl. Oh, no, nah, I can't. And then I will, voice, I will but... read her response. Okay. <sighs> <clears throat> or maybe you read the you read what she says, okay? Dear Lisa, because y- you read the question and then you I'll read the response. Okay. Yeah. All right, I'm reading. Dear Lisa, yep. All right, dear Lisa, I fell into a, I fell into an instant and deep connection with a man while on a work trip. I'm happily married, so there's no chance of romantic future. But friendship has been and is enlivening we share many interests but mostly we have an easy understanding something slow and patient and unusual in this world when we we occasionally talk on the phone about life and we're looking forward to having lunch and when our paths cross again next month sounds very sexy however Mm. in the gaps between conversations i've come to realize that he might not that he might he might be a fan of jordan peterson oh he hasn't mentioned his name, but there have been some very significant clues. More alarming, he has betrayed a thin skin, skinness around. He he has betrayed a thin skinness around sensitive topics like me hashtag me too, and transgender issues. He has said nothing that's outright offensive. Maybe because I've made my politics clear, but if I ask directly and he responds affirmatively that he is a fan of Peterson. What should I do? Oh, all right. Now let's let's hear the answer. What Not is, a fan of social Darwinism. Let's see what this writer says. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she signed it. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Today, Junior Reinhold gets to be a man. How do I? 
You did that on purpose. Yes. <laughs> You're a cuck. <laughs> okay. Big cuck. You're not a fan. Uh, both of you are lucky. Not enough people make time for real conversation and friendship in adulthood. As well, too many people isolate themselves from anyone whose value or politics are at odds with their own. And when we do that, we get intellectually soft. Worse, we lose the empathy with our opponents that can be so crucial to persuasion. That said, not a fan, I'm delighted you plan to keep your clothes on, not only because you're happily married, but also because it would be advice columnist malpractice to condone sex with a Jordan Peterson fan. Okay, stop right there. <laughs> Having sex with a fan of Jordan Peterson. Now, she's being funny, all right? So let's not get our panties too in a wad. She's being funny, but she's being half funny. She's, <laughs> she's serious, but she's joking. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. She's trying to be cute. But right. she's being mean at the same she's time. She's being serious. So incels are not worth mating with is what she's saying. Continue. Well, yeah. <laughs> For those readers who have been dwelling in happy ignorance, Jordan Peterson is a Canadian psychologist, best-selling author, and wildly popular YouTube star promulgating backwards and deeply unoriginal biological determinism with certainty, zeal, and a lot of Jungian mumbo-jumbo. Confronting Peterson's <laughs> repellent ideas if you can do so without getting defensive or insulting, might actually help your friend think through some of these issues. There are a few things you can recommend that he check out if you want to consider gently counter the propaganda. The propaganda. Yep. Okay. One is any book by Cordelia, Cordelia Fine, a psychologist who has been ruthlessly dissecting the banal discourse over essential differences between the sexes for years. Another is a wonderful video called Jordan Peterson ContraPoints by the trans femme YouTube star, Natalie Wynn, who does a fabulous job of acknowledging the value of Peterson's self-help advice. You wouldn't be reading this if no one needed advice while exposing his far right political agenda. What's more important than refuting Peterson empirically says Harrison Fluss, a political theorist who has studied the alt right extensively is understanding that he's an ideologue and that you should therefore engage in philosophical battle. Peterson, Fluss tells me, has a disdain for mass society, which he thinks is making us weak and effeminate. <laughs> Faced with the growing popularity of socialist and social de democratic ideas, Peterson constantly raises the specter of the gulag, Stalinist dictatorship, to him is always just around the corner. It's a really scary dog whistle, Fluss says. In that context, if you want to convince your friend not to be a Peterson fan, it's probably more important to persuade him of the merits of your own progressive ideology than of the specific wrongness of Peterson's many claims. Now, let me explain a dog whistle. A dog whistle is like, the, you know, you blow the whistle, you can't hear it, but the dog can hear it. That is uh, a, usually a conservative says something that is uh, a secret race, racist signal to their followers. States' rights. Uh, states' rights, for instance, is a dog whistle. Property rights. If you're talking about property <laughs> rights and dog and dog rights, uh, you're basically dog whistling racist propaganda to your side, because again, everything's racist. So continue, please. If your friend is indeed a Peterson admirer, I also wonder if he might be depressed and lonely, <laughs> even more the rage, transphobia, or misogyny. The the effect most palpable in Peterson's public appearances is melancholy. He cries a lot, and the anger he expresses is of a brittle, defensive sort, depressive sort. 
I wonder to what extent his appeal lies in giving expression to, as well as providing narratives to explain, male sorrow. He also offers sad men empathy, a warm respite from the cold shoulder everyone gets from the neoliberalism and many men imagine they are getting from women and feminism. Meanwhile, the next sentence is about the coldest shoulder that you can possibly imagine. He imagines that we're giving him the cold shoulder. Go ahead. So you may, outside the context of a political discussion, want to suggest to that your friends seek treatment for depression or at least spend less time on YouTube, which can be a cesspool of self-reinforcing masculine ailments and symptoms. Is that it? Mm-hmm. Okay. So what she is saying is that if if he listens to Jordan Peterson and the and the titles on the, the nation.com I think my friend is a Jordan Peterson fan what should I do I'll also put in the show notes if you are a person that listens to Jordan Peterson and let's say you believe 25% this woman thinks you are mentally ill and that you must be immediately treated and checked for depression for antisocial behavior, for uh, fascist tendencies, the liberal the liberal worldview leaves people apparently so fragile that they can't even imagine that someone could disagree with them. That there might be things in the world that are are different than what they believe. That other people may choose to believe or do things that they can't believe. Uh, that they don't condone, and anyone who disagrees with them must be mentally ill, at least according to what she is saying. Any of you who listen to Jordan Peterson, and I, I encourage you to listen to Jordan Peterson, and here's why. Jordan Peterson is undergoing one of the biggest smear jobs by mainstream media I have ever seen in my life. What you read in the New York Times, what you read from people like, people like Steve Horowitz, what you read from people... Uh, in the nation, are complete gross exaggerations of what Dr. Jordan Peterson actually says. Is Jordan Peterson unoriginal? Yeah. Jordan, but it, he, he says a lot of things that Young and then Joseph Campbell said. He, he synthesizes psychology with religion, with uh, libertarian politics and uh, symbology, and, and puts it into a nice package and a friendly package that people are responding to. But none of the things that are these sources, like Carl Jung in the hands of a leftist psychologist, would probably be celebrated by this person. But if if a conservative psychologist like Peterson is quoting the exact same thing, then it's bad. That's where they're falling apart. They're going so far into realms of insanity that you start losing people like libertarians. Now, all of 2016, I was being called a left libertarian, throw them out of helicopters, by not only people on, not only by my co-hosts, but random fans of the show. It seems like you hate Republicans. You uh, have for a long time talked about uh, left-leaning policies. You're a suspect. Okay, fair enough. I'm anti-war. I believe that the government should treat gay people equally. I believe that uh, government shouldn't be involved in marriage, but if it is going to be involved in marriage, then everybody should have access to that uh, government institution, okay? Uh, 
civil rights have always been important to me. My work with Rupert's kids and uh, offender reentry has left me con- totally convinced that things like criminal justice reform must happen and the drug war. These are traditionally left-leaning policies that many libertarians agree with. But when, but I have been called a racist almost every single day on my Facebook by Wilson Allen, a friend of mine, known him for 15 years, huge Democrat, uh, very progressive, old-school Alinsky agitator in his 70s now. Wilson knows damn good and well that I'm not a racist. But he wants to gaslight and manipulate me by constantly claiming I'm a racist to frustrate me. So then I start retreating back into my identity of a single white male who's straight. And then you end up doing something stupid like posting a Confederate flag after a certain point. The agitation of the left is constantly pushing independence away from their message. And is making people like me who are sympathetic to them completely unwilling to have a conversation with anyone on the left. Because it doesn't matter what I say or do. You might as well just post whatever you want on Facebook and, and, and Twitter and Instagram. Because it's never going to be good enough. In the hellscape that the left is creating for us, it's never going to be good enough. It doesn't matter how right you are on 50% of the issues that they agree with. You're always going to be a bigot, racist, homophobe. Uh, it doesn't matter. They're going to lie about you. They're going to create narratives about you that aren't true. They're going to set you up. They're going to set you up, invite you on their program, have awful discussions with you. Ask not- you about Aleppo. <laughs> right. It really is insidious. It's gaslighting, and it's wrong. Uh, and and I'm, getting, I'm getting tired. Of it. I'm not going to defend Roseanne, for instance. Roseanne did something that was 100% wrong. Okay, so I'm not going to knee jerk start defending every person that the left persecutes, but I do think that if you are one of the few people who are on the left that listens to this program, you need to understand that every time you cry wolf with racist, bigot, homophobe, write an article about Jordan Peterson that isn't true, you start taking people who are independent minded and moving them further and further in the opposite direction of compromise. It or creates, rational discussion. It creates the power of the alt-right that had no power before. Right. Because now people are seeing it as a way to defend themselves against the accusations of, of racism that they, you know, I'm, I'm not a racist, but I keep getting called one. So, you know, other people must be in the same situation. Let's band together and defend ourselves against it. Well, some of those people, they're racist. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're lining yourself with people. So that's part of the problem, too, is they keep pushing and people start to change their behavior to say, okay, I normally would call out this as being racist. I would say that that's horrible, but now I don't want to. I think Roseanne was a great example yeah. of this. I think conservatives, mm-hmm. on the other foot, need to ask themselves, how far are you willing to go? Mm-hmm. Roseanne is a woman who ran with Cindy Sheehan on the Green Party ticket and was advocating for socialist Bernie-like policies in 2012, 2008? 2008. 2008. Here is a person that is a Hollywood leftist who's doing pills at night and saying racist crap on the Internet, and you're defending her because she said something nice about Trump. Louis Farrakhan even slightly signals that he might say something nice about Trump, and conservatives start going, Louis Farrakhan's our guy. 
Oh, you mean the guy that is is basically a mob leader <laughs> who is extremely racist towards white people? Like, what is happening in the conservative movement that you have you have lost your minds just as much as the mm-hmm. left has? It's just like Roy Moore. To the, to it Roy the Moore. same thing as Roseanne. Oh, yeah, exactly right. Were, he got more support after that because they they were like they're attacking him un, unjustly attacking him we're gonna go defend him we're gonna give him he was not gonna win that race and it was and he almost won because yeah. he got support from people because of that accusation and if you looked with a clear eye at the evidence against roy moore the guy preyed on women <laughs> he was he was some of the accusations may or may not have been completely 100 percent accurate but there was no way that anybody could look at that and go this guy is pretty cool he's not doing anything yeah. wrong yeah. at all yeah it's it's not like raymore did not need defended and roseanne did not need defended exactly but here we are and, in the future and, and, and we could even go defended. back to bill clinton who made his little faux pas this week right uh being tone deaf to to a, a question but what he doesn't understand and what a lot of people on the left don't understand is that their defense of him back in the 90s prolonged that whole me too movement from existing it, it it basically they defended the sexual harassment stuff that was going on so that everybody else was like well if he can get away with it i can do it too and, yeah. and, and nobody wanted stuff. to nobody wanted to say anything because then they were going to end up taking a hit on the, their guys so they didn't want to bring it up so Everybody, it, this stuff could have been done 10 years ago. It just prolonged all of that. Yeah. We're still talking about kneeling for it's, the anthem. People aren't letting things go anymore. I, I want to <laughs> uh, at all go back to the right and start talking about uh, the, the sins of the right, but this mm-hmm. is a, every side is doing what happened oh, to yeah. Kathy Griffin. I'm going to defend Kathy Griffin, okay? Mm-hmm. I'm going to warn you, but I can only do it on a podcast, and this is why podcasting is great. I tried to say this on Twitter and Facebook, and you would have thought I had I had said anti-Semitic slurs, because how dare you say something nice about a liberal? Really? Okay, we got to own the libs. Wow. Even if we're, as libertarians, we got to own and, the cons and own the libs. And, and if you're a libertarian and you're saying that, you're you're not seeing things really properly, right? Because yeah, we we have to, you know. We have to stop what some of the liberals are doing, but the stuff that's happening on the right is not good either. Sure. We have to be consistent in our values and principles and apply them independently. And if you apply your values and principles independently, this game of where do you stand on the issue of Trump, are you left or are you right, is going to be consistently applied to you. And it's very annoying. Well, that was the one thing about the... Even libertarians do which it. There's more well, answers than just that, yes or no. Right. That was the thing that got me it's about Roseanne. It's a complex is, answer. Right. If somebody came out and said, Roseanne is just... The only reason Roseanne happened was because of Trump. Right. It's like, how, how does no. anything everything that she did have anything to do with Trump? Everything. Uh, right? Per- and that's <laughs> the thing. It's, it's like everybody's trying to tie everything to Trump. Uh, gas is $3 a gallon. In the world of Trump. A person it's saying Trump. something right... <laughs> Uh, Jimmy the Greek said something racist and lost his job in the 70s, okay? This is yeah. not new, people. Quit acting like Trump invented everything. But here's why I want to tell you Kathy Griffin's story. Because you people, even the most level-headed, open-minded, independent-thinking audience in all of American politics, I would venture to say that this audience is the most free-thinking audience of any podcast in the world, Okay. Because we, I demand that of myself. You guys demand that of me. I can't say a single fucking word without one of you people correcting me for something. <laughs> Even Jeremiah Morrill, you're being real Jesse Riddle right now, son. Like it, it is it, this audience. 
I think is so important at this time in history because you people need to be the ones who say the things that are hard but true. And that is going to make you enemies on all sides, even in the libertarian movement. I'm loving Tom Woods' show right now because Tom Woods is as irritated with libertarians as I am. And he called atheist libertarians morons today on his show, and then my nipples got hard. It was great. <laughs> um, but uh, he – libertarians even fall into groupthink. If you – all libertarian Facebook groups eventually devolve into some idiot going, I don't know why you're talking about this. It violates the nap. Okay. Well, you can have a thought outside of the non-aggression principle, you little troglodyte. All right? Free – think for yourself. You can talk about Roseanne. Oh, it's just not that it doesn't involve the government, and so they have a property right to do whatever they want. Okay, I get that. But what kind of world do you want to live in? What kind of values do you hold? What kind of principles do you have? We're getting ready to get onto the subject that I've been wanting to yell about for a couple of days now. So, uh, so uh, it, it is it is getting untenable. I, I'm I'm seeing Eric July tweet out: "Human rights are property rights." Property rights are like the new taxation is theft. People are using that in ways that don't make sense. So I, I, I didn't question Eric. I'll see him at Porkfest. I'll ask him there. But I asked, like, Creighton, who's the smartest human I know, ANCAP, brilliant kid, read every philosophy book in history. I go, what does Eric mean by that? Human rights are property rights. I mean, like, if I own a Toyota, then I'm more of a human being? Or, like, what is he? He's like, I don't even know, man. It's like... These slogans then start getting introduced to the point that one kid on Instagram is arguing with Little Stone, Aldridge, our social media director, saying, well, uh, abortion is uh, okay because it's a matter of property rights. You know, Jason Stapleton says all morality stems from property rights. Well, if I lie to, to, uh, to, to Galt or to Reinhold, it's immoral. But I didn't steal property or rob them of property. Like, I, I don't know. I think we're getting. In, I think we're getting intellectually a little bit too group thinky, and we're not actually echoey chamber, and we're not actually thinking about what we're saying. And they're trying to and making cogent to, arguments. Yeah, they're trying to boil everything down to this one thing or this other thing. Like everything's property rights or everything's economics. Some economics will take care of everything. Great. So here's we got an issue. We've got Rosanna just got fired because she said a tweet. Well. That was their right to do that, right? Right. So how can people be upset about, oh, Roseanne got fired and that she should, we shouldn't have these protests. People are protesting things and putting businesses you know, out of business because of the protests. And libertarians get upset about this. Well, you shouldn't be able to do this. And that, why are you doing that? This is what people are asking for in the libertarian movement. They right. say, well, when we get rid of the government, all those social issues that everybody's concerned about are going to be resolved through – you know whether somebody if a business does this then they won't get their this person's business and they'll eventually go out of business right. and all that stuff well, isn't this exactly what you guys want it's just happening right now right why are you upset about it this is exactly what you're asking for we're we're trying to solve the culture world with economics you're never going to cuz people is, it's not, that's not problem, how it works the problem is is that people don't people okay so a lot of the incaps have this thing where they say Economics will take care of everything, okay? And and that's great. We, if people were always to look for profit motive and, you know, all this stuff will be taken care of, but people don't think that way. People have emotions. People mm -hmm. are knee-jerk. People get scared. People react. Are tribal. 
yeah, react, react wrong to things or they defend people that they, they like and, and hate people they don't like. And that changes how they interact within a marketplace. And if you're not going to understand that and prepare for that or even think about that in your philosophy, then how are you any different than socialists who have a great idea except that they take they don't understand about the human element and how human beings actually work where it all falls apart. Mm-hmm. If you don't account for human nature in your <laughs> philosophy, no how are you any different? Them. Right. You're not any different. Yeah. So, I mean, if you if you heard that little rant, I'd love to hear – send me an email at editorweirdlibertarians.com because I don't pretend that I know everything about economics. I got a C in economics in high school. I'm a people person. I always have been. I'm, I'm, I struggled to follow economics. So if you can explain human rights or property rights to me, then please give it a shot because I'm totally mystified and everybody in on in wall is mystified by well, property like, rights are dead. We know that from the Supreme Court ruling. Yeah, keto. No, uh, this bakery. The the bakery. They ruled. They ruled in favor of the bakery, but not because of property rights. We'll get to the bakery. Yeah, but doesn't mean doesn't mean they wouldn't rule in favor. They that just they, didn't rule in favor. Basically said they wouldn't. Right, they we'll would get, have ruled. Un, well, let's get to let's get to the bakery because I think it it flows into the next subject better than Kathy Griffin. But we will get to Kathy Griffin because you people need to hear this. <laughs> you need to hear what's going on because when you have these cultural arguments. You're contributing to this environment, and I think you need to hear what it, it's like to be on the other end of that. Uh, not that I'm sticking up for what she did or what she said, but I think there's some questions in what that was that, that we need as people to answer about the society that we're contributing to. As a member of this society, as a person who is living and, and talking to people, you, you bear some responsibility for the way that you uh, think about things and the way that you approach things. Ah, pfft. So, sorry, you're saying that the government demands that? No. I'm saying that you have a responsibility to be a decent human being, and the government is not involved. So, um, this week, uh, we've talked about the gay cake case, the Masterpiece Cakes case before. But in case you don't know, J- Jack Phillips owns a, a bakery in Colorado. Uh, and in July of 2012, Charlie Craig and David Mullins, a same-sex couple went into Masterpiece Cake Shops in Lakewood, Colorado with their mother and asked to have a wedding cake. Now, they now at the time, Oberfell hadn't happened yet. That was in 2015. And that was where, essentially, gay marriage was legalized everywhere in the United States. So they were flying to Massachusetts to get married, and then they were going to come back to Colorado, and they were going to have a ceremony. And so Phillips... Basically says, I'm sorry, I um, can't do that. Uh, so I went with a Vox explainer. Um, Vox explainers do a really good job of giving you a bunch of facts. There is opinion, but they give you a lot of facts about these sorts of things. So you can then kind of pick and choose. Uh, so basically, Phillips is a baker, an artist, and uh, the Colorado's non-discrimination law stifles his artistic expression. And essentially, Phillips told them that he serves LGBT individuals. He simply declines to create art that celebrates same-sex marriage, such as, from his view, a wedding cake. Each of Phillips' cakes, the brief stated, announces the couple's union as a marriage... uh, the, announces the couple's union as a marriage and conveys celebra- celebratory messages about that event. 
since Philip is opposed to same-sex marriage, forcing him to serve a same-sex couple would, in his view, force him to express support for their marriage. Philip's attorney pointed out that he even offered to provide other kinds of cakes, brownies, or cookies to Craig and Mullins, showing that the issue was not that the men are gay, but he he did refuse all wedding cakes to the couple, including a cake that uh, were made for customers before and a nondescript cake. That is a very important point. Remember that. Showing that he was singling out gay people for refusing the service. The brief continues that before designing a wedding cake, Phillips meets with the couple to learn their desires, personalities, preferences, and wedding details. Jeremy Tedesco, senior counsel at Alliance Defending Freedom, previously wrote in an email. Then he sketches the design on paper, often multiple times, sculpts it into a shape, creates ornamental and symbolic details to place on it, and decorates it using artistic techniques like hand painting, airbrushing, and sculpting. Each wedding cake that Jack Phillips creates announces the couple's union as a marriage and conveys the celebratory messages for the event. He gets intimately involved in every one of his wedding cakes. And so he didn't feel that is and now Masterpiece Cakes, though the... There was, I think it's closed now, but the logo is an art palette. There was a painting or a picture of him, you know, in like a Bob Ross attire or whatever. Basically, he considers himself a cake artist. And so the force of his argument before the Supreme Court was that I shouldn't be forced to make this cake because it violates my free speech. And so the couple were very hurt uh, by this. I imagine that it, it was... Now, you made a face. Are you, do you think that they're one of these plant-type deals? As my understanding is they went to several different people before and were all told that they would make the cake for them, and they looked for okay. somebody who would do that. I, 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 I have not heard that, but I'm not saying that that doesn't right. exist because that definitely exists. That's how the, the original case 10 years ago in Arizona with the photographer, that, that for instance... Mm-hmm was one. Uh, so the couple were very upset, and they filed a complaint with the Civil Rights Division of Colorado, and the, the ba- they basically said that he had, to, he had to bake the gay cake. And so it eventually went to the Supreme Court. Now, there, I haven't read all of it, but I want – I think if you're interested in the details, Tom Wood's podcast today, which I will put in the show notes, was fantastic. It is an hour breakdown of every single part of this case. He reads through the opinion from all of the different justices. Uh, I cannot do as good of a job of breaking down the details of the ruling as Tom Woods. So I am going to simply uh, send you over there to listen to that. And I think you should because it was a really well done podcast. It was the best out of the probably dozen podcasts that I listened to about this from left, right, center news, Tom Woods had the best breakdown of exactly what was said in this case. And there are a ton of complexities to it, a ton of different arguments. There was a previous decision by the Colorado, uh, let's see, what what is it's the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, where people basically went in and said, I want you to bake me a cunt, uh, a cunt, sorry, wow. <laughs> bake me a cake that had the <laughs> C word on it, that had, uh, you know, God hates fags, and they denied to do it, and then so they were sued, and I, I don't know. And so they ruled in favor of Jack's, but then they ruled against uh, Jack Phillips, and they compare those two test cases, essentially. And so Kennedy wrote the um, the 
the opinion and Ginsburg and Ginsburg. She wrote the dissent. She wrote the dissent and um, Elena Kagan and Breyer attached themselves to the uh, Kennedy decision, making it uh, seven to two. Very narrow, but it's narrow That's, in scope. Yeah. So and Legally. I I fell for it too because I was like, what I, the, mm-hmm. what does that mean? I, I said something to Pope Hat. I'm like, uh, what's what do you mean by narrow? And he immediately i was like okay right yeah i was like i was just it, i you know it made sense to me to, to ask that question i wasn't a belligerent about mm-hmm. it right so I was yeah like, and and so narrow in scope means that it applies to this case because i think what kennedy is doing is kennedy is reading the landscape and the rapidly changing view of the lgbt community and society and hoping that this doesn't kind of come back up and that they won't have to do a broader it just goes, ruling. It goes right. away. That and it goes they don't away. Have to deal with it. Right. Doesn't want to set any precedent. Because, uh, let me be honest. Um, well, let me give my opinion of all this after I kind of give you the facts, as usual. So, so the court found, as the record shows, some of the commissioners at the commission's pub- formal public hearings endorsed the view that religious beliefs cannot legitimately be carried into the public sphere or commercial domain. Disparaged Philip's faith as despicable. And characterized it as merely rhetorical compared his invocation uh, of his sincerely held religious beliefs to defenses of slavery in the Holocaust. No commissioners objected to the comments. The court also argued that there seemed to be bias in the state government in favor of same-sex marriages, pointing out the commission ruled against Phillips in part on the theory that any message that on the requested wedding cake would be attributed to the customer, not to the baker. Yet the Colorado Civil Rights Division did not address the point in any of the cases involving requests for cakes depicting anti-gay marriage symbolism. Short, the court found that while the state's interest in banning LGBTQ discrimination could have been weighed against Phillips' sincere religious objections in a way consistent with the requisite religious neutrality that must be strictly observed, the state commission did not do that because it showed signs of hostility in the court's view towards Phillips and his religious beliefs. So the state could, in theory, prevent discrimination like Phillips, but it has to do it in a way that respects people's religious beliefs, which the court concluded the commission did not do here. Um, Kennedy was explicit about it. Uh, In the opinion, the outcome of cases like this and other circumstances must await further elaboration in the courts in all context of recognizing that these disputes must be resolved with tolerance, without undue disrespect, recognizing uh, without undue disrespect to sincere religious beliefs and without subjecting gay persons to the indignities when they seek goods and services in an open market. In short, they're kind of punting. Um, so to continue on a little bit, uh, so Phillips' brief at one point um, the brief invoked a provocative comparison. African-American sculptors who have designed Latin cross-shaped sculptures for Lutheran churches would know that those same items express different messages if created for an Aryan nation's church event. Essentially, a black sculptor should not be forced to sell crosses to racists just because he sells them to Lutheran churches, given the context involved. Mm. The brief went on to say, other facts confirm that Phillips is concerned not about the sexual orientation of his customers, but the ideas that his wedding cakes convey. Phillips would decline to create a wedding cake celebrating a same-sex marriage regardless of whether the customer is a same-sex couple or heterosexual parent purchasing the cake. So, essentially, 
Similarly, Phillips would celebrate a marriage between a man and a woman even if one or both spouses identified as gay, lesbian, or bisexual. So he's saying, I don't care about the man or the woman. I care about the message of the cake. And I think that is true in many of these cases. Phillips, if you've seen interviews with him, the guy doesn't strike me as somebody who is a racist person, a bigoted person, anybody who he has a very Bob Ross manner to him. I mean, he seems like a very gentle guy. Uh, And the Colorado Human Rights Commission, um, at one point, Kennedy, this was kind of what the, the thing that got the most headlines. Kennedy wrote about the commission to describe a man's faith as one of the most despicable pieces of rhetoric that people can use is to disparage his religion in a way in at least two distinct ways by describing it as despicable and also by characterizing it as merely rhetorical something insubstantial and even insincere the sentiment is inappropriate for a commission charged with the solemn responsibility of fair and neutral enforcement of Colorado's anti-discrimination law a law that protects discrimination on the basis of religion as well as sexual orientation. So, um, the, the, the way that I look at this is that disagreement is not discrimination. What we are dealing with now uh, is not the same as the civil rights era, for instance. You, you hear the civil rights era invoked in this conversation all the time. Uh, Jack Phillips was choosing to not it wasn't even a, a dis, he wasn't even choosing to not associate with them. He was just choosing not to use his talents and and produce a piece of speech that he disagreed with based on his re- religious views. The two men had the opportunity to go to probably half a dozen other cake bakers in the area and have the service rendered. If you were a black person in the South in the 50s, you didn't have the ability to have the freedom of association. You didn't have the ability to purchase goods. You didn't have the benefits of a full and free society in which you were participating, which you could should have participated. There were like zero people that were black that were registered to vote in Alabama. St- full stop, like not a location, like the state. Okay. Uh, you weren't allowed to shop and, and do certain things. Uh, you were you were systemically oppressed, systematically oppressed. That is discrimination. The idea that he that Jack Phillips disagrees with two people's choice isn't necessarily discrimination in my view. Uh, he is just choosing not to associate with them. He is choosing not to take their money. The two men. While hurtful, I'm sure that they are telling the truth and that it was hurtful. Uh, sorry. <laughs> Being offended, which I disagree with. I've said time and time again, name a time when you've been offended. You've been shocked. You've been angry. You've been hurt. You've never been offended. Offended is bullshit. Th- these two men, in my mind, are no better, if not worse, than the person that won't sell them a gay cake. Because these two men are using the force of government. they Not only did they walk away from that experience wanting to wreck Jack Phillips' life and business, they wanted to use the government to compel him to do something against his beliefs. They wanted to use the guns of government. They wanted to use the 
financially punishing power of the state government to force to to a force him to do something he didn't believe in that he was a conscientious objector to and b to wreck his life now maybe they felt there was a greater good but let's be honest okay things are different than they were in 2012 it's 2018 now i grew up in in an era of intolerance towards lgbt people i myself participated in that i've told the story on the show I had I had a friend in my friend circle that was gay. None of us knew it. And when I found out, I apologized to him for the awful things that we used to joke about as kids. Did we hate gay people? No. We just had never met one. <laughs> We'd never had an interaction with someone who was gay. And I wish that he had told us. I understand why he didn't feel comfortable considering how awful we were. But we would have become instantaneously more empathetic and tolerant towards that lifestyle that we didn't understand. But then Queer Eye for the Straight Guy comes out, and you see Carson Kressley and, the, and uh, some of these other guys. For me personally, that was a moment where I was like, oh, oh, these are people. Okay, I get it. <laughs> you know, I really feel like that was an important moment. Um, you know, I have a friend who oh, – I probably shouldn't tell that story. I, I, the, new, the new Queer Eye, for instance. <laughs> uh, I heard the new one is good. I haven't seen it yet. but No. Like – I have a there, seat. there are. I'm just gonna say it. I'm not getting. No, nobody's gonna get in trouble. Um, <laughs> I, I know people who have children who feel they're gay. Watch the new Queer Eye. Immediately empowered their life. That's awesome. You know what I mean? Like these cultural influences where you are exposed to people who are in a minority class. You go, wow. Okay, those are those are. Those are people, <laughs> you know, and that's really where I think that's why it's so insidious that we are constantly fighting about stupid things. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that we are fighting about stupid things that are keeping us from connecting to each other on a personal level is that we have the force of government involved. That if I don't stop you, you're, you're going to compel me with the gun of the government to do things that are against my conscience. And on the other side, you're going to fight back and I need to stop you because then I need to control the government. That's why it's so important to not use the government to achieve social and political goals because it is what inherently divides us. There, let's talk about the reality of 2018. The LGBT community is a minority of our population, but... Do can we with an honest straight face at this point in society say that they are an unembraced class? Now I don't live as a gay man. I I don't secretly live as a gay man. I don't understand what it's like to be gay. Okay? And I fully understand that there are ways of living that I will never understand what it's like to be black for instance. I don't understand what Harry goes through when he leaves his house and gets pulled over by a cop. Okay? which is why it's really important for me to have those conversations with Harry so I have some level of understanding of it. But you, this Pride Month, for instance, I've never felt like it is more celebrated in my lifestyle, in my lifetime. Not that there's a, anything wrong with that, but I feel like we're at a moment of cultural acceptance. We're not at a, at a moment of discrimination towards this minority class. 
the there was a CrossFit gym here in Indianapolis that just went out of business today because Indy Pride, one of the members of Indy Pride and one of the members of the CrossFit gym organized a Pride workout. The owner canceled the workout and all of the employees quit. All of the members left the CrossFit gym and he had to close his doors today. Okay? That doesn't tell me that this minority class is being discriminated against. So why are we inflaming each other with a discussion about a – to me at this point, and maybe this is what Kennedy is, is trying to maneuver, what are we arguing about? <laughs> the problem is now is that a lot of people who are activists for the, the gay community – and on the are other, trying to yeah. eliminate all aspects of anybody who disagrees with the fact that they exist as human beings, right? So there's there's fringes right. of people out there who are still very anti. There's uh, recently the um, article. There's a whole thing on Facebook about uh, a person who wrote an article for for Mises, who's an Austrian, you know, economics guy who was also very religious, uh, started a religious construction movement, and has stated publicly that he wants to capital punishment for male homosexuals and they should be stoned because stones are plentiful and we wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't cost a lot of money to do it that way. Right. Right. So that's his today. You know, that's how he feels. Gary North is his name. Oh. Oh, wow. Okay. I mean, that's That's, how uh, he feels. And it's like, I think that they're trying to eliminate every single aspect of anybody having that opinion, but you're never going to, you're, you're, you can't force people. Should, should Gary North have that belief? No. Is no. Gary North saying something that is absolutely crazy and Before, anti-libertarian? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Should Gary North have power? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Should Gary North uh, be allowed to think what he thinks and say what he says? Absolutely. Because when we hear what he says, I immediately go, okay, Gary North is a recognizable name that I've, I've seen many times over the years. I know not to associate with that guy now. I don't want any part of that guy. Right. And that's why, that's why ra- a lot of people are upset. I would rather why know. Why is he on the Mises board? You know, yeah. He's been writing for Mises for years. Right. And people have known this for years about him. This isn't new. Sure. So it's, it's like. So, so, so there's those people who are still out there that, and and like I said, you're never going to, and it's same with racists. This is racist out there. You're never going to convince people not to be racist by putting a gun to their head and telling them stop, stop, right, right. Um, sometimes those people just have to die out. Yeah. Um, social norms have to start to take place, but you also have to understand that even if there, let's let's say there's, you know. Five percent of the uh, population who are racist or uh, homophobic, those sorts of things. Those five percent of people are still affecting the lives of a certain number of people who are in that community, right? And in a negative way. So, how do we how do we kind of combat that in the legal system to where we we know that their rights are not being violated, right? By those people. Yeah, I mean, d- discrimination happens all day long. Mm-hmm. I discriminate who I want on this show. You know, I want, I want, uh, I don't have people on who are wildly left or wildly right. Mm-hmm. I have a broad spectrum. But if I wanted to have only ANCAPs on, 
like Roger Paxton. Roger Roger Paxton is incredibly discriminating on the Lava Flow podcast. It says I'm not a libertarian. He doesn't want me as a guest on there. Mm-hmm. He's like, you can listen, but I don't want you to on the podcast. I, I won't let a you, know, you can let the whore in church, but she's not going to preach. And that's that's Roger's right. Yeah, you know, and exposure to different people, different lifestyles, different ideas are important. Exactly. Because the the Roper Phelps woman um, started out on Twitter. She's part of the Westboro Baptist Church. Used to hold gay, God hates fag signs. Mm-hmm was the communications director for the church, got on Twitter and started interacting with people, started having lunch with gay and black and liberal people. Well, started to not hold the signs at the rally anymore. And she decided she couldn't be a member of the church anymore. And she realized she was wrong. She did it on her own. She did it on her own by being exposed to other people. We don't think on our own. And this is what I always tell people. It it we people like the I'm reading this book by uh, I think his name's Alan Jacobs How to Think and uh, he used that example he's like we don't think on our own people who I'm just a I think for myself it's like well then you're a dumb person because mm-hmm. the things that you think are inherently biased and probably wrong and so you need to have discussions with people and that's how you think you think with other people right. and other people shade mm-hmm. and shape how you think about things. And free speech is so incredibly important. And if you're a libertarian, a Republican, a Democrat, an independent who is shutting down free speech in your private life, you may not be using the government to silence people. It's but if you were, But if you are censoring people through violent, abusive behavior, then you're a problem. And let me be honest, fragile people like that have no sense of their own identity. And so they resort to controlling behavior because if they examine their own beliefs for too long, their world will crumble like Roper felt. They hide away in echo chambers. They eschew anybody who says anything that's outside of their rhetoric, their propaganda, the things that they have come to believe is their basis for living. And that's why everything's been dumbed down. Right. Because we've lost that that community so, that's that's driven our thought and our critical thinking yep. and everything that you've talked about since the beginning of the show. People have stopped talking to each other. Mm-hmm. You know, I went. I've talked about it on the show, and I did a Chris Spengel episode, Chris Spengel show podcast about this. I went and had a meeting with uh, young professionals who are millennials with the city council president. I was the only libertarian in the room. Uh, I was the only white male in the room. Uh, I w- there was only a conservative in there. Everybody else was pretty, pretty much a Democrat. You know, talking about intersectional politics. Do you have any idea how libertarian all those people are? It was insane. And if you had polled, do you think that the people who are running the pro DACA group are talking about intersectional politics or this minister of a black church downtown? Do, do you if you? had told me that those people were inherently libertarian, I would have called you a liar. Mm -hmm. Because the only libertarians I see are like the three of us, three white guys. Well, we're the only (laughs) um, self-identified. So they've done polls where if if they give you the libertarian kind of views, like these are where the libertarian stands on these issues, right? So they say, okay, how how do you believe on these issues? And they don't say the word libertarian. They don't give it a political agenda or name. They just ask those issues. 60% of the people in this country 
line up with libertarian views. Mm-hmm. Now, they don't think necessarily liber- the reason why they agree with those issues is because they have a principle that they believe in and they are applying to all those issues. It's just that in their head, that makes the most sense. Right. Right. And so they're predisposed to that belief system. They just don't know what to call it. They just right. – so they, they join the Democrat Party because they just can't stand the racists and the Republicans or the Republican people just can't stand those progressives who want to just, you know, do these stupid Marxist things. And it's and so you get these people joining the other two part, – these parties. They're not really embracing that ideology because there's no real ideology for either of those parties anymore. It's just we're against those people. Right. So as libertarians, if we can reach out to both sides and say, look, we know you don't like the other side because of these issues and we agree with you on those issues, but you don't like your own side for these issues too, these other issues. We kind of agree with you on the most part. And that's what Gary Johns was trying yes, to do did it better than in twenty sixteen. <laughs> and it, and uh, and he libertarians gave him so much junk. For it. Yeah. Like, why are you reaching out to those people? It's because yeah. those people are libertarians. They just don't know it mm-hmm. yet. Right. And we're trying to put the seed in their head. You put the seed in their mind. You say, hey, this is what it is. This is here. We line up on the issues. We kind of agree here. And they go, okay, libertarians, maybe I agree with them on a lot of these issues. Let me look into it more. You're not going to be able to just turn on a fire hose and say, here's all the libertarian beliefs and you right. need to suck it all down before we allow you to vote for us. No, it'll drown them. I also think I think that the, when it comes to libertarians fighting the culture wars, they just align with the group that they left. Either they're either were or, left or le- were right, and they just have some libertarian views. And so, or what I've seen is they completely flip the other way. I right. I came from I was actually a member of the Democratic Party trying to help get Dukakis elected when I became a libertarian. <laughs> Let me tell you a story about that. Dukakis. <laughs> Dukakis. <laughs> Uh, him in that stupid army hat and the tank. Yeah. Oh my god! So, but I started. I was just like so frustrated because I'm looking around, going, "Why are they? What are they doing? I don't agree with anything they're saying anymore. Right. You know, I don't. Agree, I just. I mean, I don't like what the Republicans are doing and saying. I don't like the wars and stuff that's going on. I really don't like any of that. But you know, I just couldn't. I couldn't handle with what was being said on the left either. And I went home. I was I was staying with some friends, you know, we were roommates, and I just I was just frustrated. I said, I just why can't government just leave people alone as long as they're not hurting anybody? That's exactly what I said. Mm-hmm. And my roommate said, you know, it sounds like you're a libertarian. I'm like, what's a libertarian? I didn't have no idea. This is right. this is you know like ninety one, ninety two, maybe. I mean, the, the internet wasn't really thinging yet. And I'm like, okay, let me look into that. I looked it up. I'm like, yeah, I agree with this. I agree with that. This made complete sense of what I've been trying to say for years. And so now when I do, but the thing is when I do a lot of my writing and stuff, it's just like so anti what the left is doing. Right. And if you go back and look at a lot of my writing from the last 15 years, whatever, it's mostly just attacking the left, attacking the left, attacking the left. Because I'm so frustrated with what they did. The, the Democrats were kind of little bit libertarian before they just allowed the progressives to come in and take over slowly surely took it over and that's how you do that's what's happening with the republican party you have to slowly take over right now you can't just overnight flip a switch yeah and that's the thing yeah it's a thing populism right now yeah it's becoming leaning libertarian before donald trump and now they're slowly not you still had the neocons you still have true what i said and I, and I said this last time. I said if the if all the libertarian people in the Republican Party would just leave the Republican Party, join the 
Libertarian Party, the Republican Party would be over, done. But if all the libertarians went to join the Republican Party, we would be silenced, ignored, ridiculed, but all of our work would be taken from us so Mm -hmm. they could continue the neocons and the religious right and all the other stuff that keeps that party going. So, <clears throat> anything? I don't want to cut you off. No, you're good. All right. I'm rambling. Uh, no, no, no. It's fine. Um, <laughs> so, so I want to talk about Kathy Griffin because I think you need to know when when we participate in these debates. Now, I've worked in PR, marketing, media, uh, entertainment, the broadcasting business my for my career, right? I can tell you that there are so many subtle ways – to control public opinion. And there are many things that go on behind the scenes that you never see. So, like, the whole Russian bot thing, there is a shade of truth to that. Do I think that, you know, Trump arm-wrestling Jesus or Hillary arm-wrestling Jesus and spending $3,000 on a Facebook ad swung the election for Trump? No. Do I think that a... um. It's a building process, right? So public opinion is formed by millions of voices rallying around a certain point of view or an opposing point of view and participating in that in that massive discussion. So you never know who's kind of on the other end of that stuff. You know, Reinhold's not Reinhold's name. I mean, he could be he could be a fake. He could be fake news. We don't know. I'm a bot. <laughs> yeah, he could be a Russian bot. Um, but I think been accused of it. And this is really long, so I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of blaze through it. But I want you to uh, go and read the Twitter thread mm. and put aside the bias that it's Kathy Griffin. Listen, I can't imagine there's many people in this audience that like Kathy Griffin. I don't. I don't think she's funny. I think she's funny. I think she's got an audience. I mean, because she's mean to celebrities that people want to be taken down a notch. I think she's probably kind of a nasty person. All right. But does she, what level of treatment does she deserve? Now you you can answer that. What levels of public discourse are there? All right, so let's have this discussion. So Kathy Griffin on March 31st said one year ago it was the one-year anniversary of her Trump photo. Uh, well, shoot. Where's all her replies? Hold on. <clears throat> we have technical difficulties. The Russians have hacked into... Chris Spengel's laptop and deleted all of the replies. Yeah, it's hard to like <laughs> when you, when you go to these tweets and now it's showing like there's like 87 replies to this, mm-hmm. but you only see all of the idiots. <laughs> um, How many people on there probably have you blocked? Oh, <laughs> I've been using the block because you're on the list because you don't you know there's lists out there, right? Really. No. Oh, what there's actually automated list people who uh, will um, uh, join into that will go into their Twitter account and automatically block anybody who's been put on that list. Hmm. I mean, it wouldn't surprise us or surprise me. And um, if you say anything that's outside the echo chamber, you get put on the list. Right. So clearly you listen to Sean Hannity and deleted all your data. <laughs> uh, is that what here? he did? Is that what the problem? Huh? No. Oh, he made a joke about it, and the left took it all sensitive, like he, like you know, 
You didn't hear about it? I, I didn't, <laughs> no. I Surprisingly, Galt, I don't keep up with Sean Hannity news. Oh, I, wow. I just don't. It's just Google. <laughs> it's on Google. Uh, Facebook training's gone or going away, so can't follow that anymore. What What piece of new censorship did I just hear about? Oh, no, it wasn't censorship. It was the Google. Did you see the Google salad? No. Thing. Oh, the the egg. They so took the egg out of the emoji the, on the salad. Completely unironically, <laughs> uh, the the emoji czar for Google <laughs> redesigned the salad emoji to take out the egg to make it more vegan inclusive. And, and of course, that offended someone. <laughs> oh, everybody was pissed. <laughs> the egg is gone. <laughs> oh my god! But for real, the egg is good in salad. I I agree. I like it. I agree. I think a nice hard boiled egg and a salad is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let me see, you, you, what's been going on with you? <laughs> <laughs> We're small talking now. Oh, not much. Uh, yeah, I guess I can throw in an ad for Comcast Business. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Okay, so this this kind of this link has a lot of it. So uh, Kathy Griffin, as you know, on May thirty first, put out that tweet. Uh, where she was holding up the bloody head of Donald Trump. Uh, now, she is talking about how she's going to uh, post a lengthy, I mean, it's like 50 different tweets, where she essentially talks about her experience at, in the aftermath of that and what happened. Um, now, at the time, I criticized it, basically... Uh, I I just saw what I said, and it was, I applaud Kathy Griffin for finally helping us find the limits of anti-Trump hate. Uh, I was against it because I, like everyone else, assumed she was decapitating the president, and that's beyond the pale. Uh, and even as she later says, uh, what was the point of the mask? It got lost in the mist, uh, mix. The image was inspired by Trump's sexist comments to Don Lemon about Megyn Kelly, so the mask photo was meant to be a play on those sexist comments, blood coming out of her wherever. Uh, I am no Megyn Kelly fan, but she made horrible racist remarks. But there's no doubt her comments about her were, Trump's comments were sexist. I'd like to see what racist comments Megyn Kelly has said. Um, she seems pretty vanilla to me. Um, the photo shoot for the Trump mask photo was uh, actually for new photographs for her headshot. We decided to do it last minute. My assistant went out and bought the Halloween mask and ketchup. That was the elaborate setup. Uh, did I know the photo would cause controversy? Of course. But I thought it would be a one- or two-day thing. The point was to do something provocative in an attempt to keep the spotlight shining on his sexism. Uh, in my mind, that's the role comics are supposed to play. I think she's full of shit there. I think she wanted the controversy to promote her new tour. Because well, yeah. every and article would include that she was going out on tour. What I wouldn't say is something that necessarily comics are supposed to but artists in general like to push boundaries and evoke conversation right and that's certainly i think what she was trying for too right uh there's a lot of stuff on google about Ke megan kelly being a racist really? <laughs> yeah right. well, maybe she's she racist, said santa claus is white and you need to get over it and so is jesus <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> oh, well, jesus was probably semitic and uh, mediterranean she said. jesus was a white man okay. too okay well, all right megan <laughs> or, or whatever white now? So, i don't I, know santa Santa is whatever. Never mind. I don't want to accidentally spoil well, it. I want to get into the history of Santa. <laughs> Do you so, have children that listen? 
Uh, so my, my, you don't want to spoil uh, the secret uh, of Santa Claus? Is that uh, what you're about to say? <laughs> my niece will sometimes ask mommy if we can oh. listen to Uncle Tiss. She's four. So okay. I, you know, she needs to understand that Santa so we shouldn't is white anymore. Is uh, I mean, is, is important. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I know. She goes, every time I curse, she goes, Uncle Tiss, a naughty word. <laughs> <laughs> she knows I'm uh, not serious. Um, so she writes, after my apology video, things started to calm down. But the next morning, Trump tweeted this, which... Started a process I was completely naive to, which I like to call the Trump wood chipper. On that day, I learned the power of the presidency and the power of the Trump machine. Immediately, the death threat started pouring in again after the first, but the more violent and serious than the previous night. The news networks broke into their programming to put his tweet up. The way I look at it is Trump is the most powerful news director and campaign director. A tweet from Obama was just a message. A tweet from Trump is an order to his millions of followers and the news media, and that day I was the target of that order. Um, I don't think he is expressly saying it, but he, he, listeners, you're just going to have to trust me on this. I have run accounts with hundreds of thousands of followers based on personalities, and there is incredible power in that. There is incredible power in directing people to do things when you are running account an account of that size based around personalities. If you have a big account like Tide, you're not really directing a lot of people to do stuff. But if you're a personality, especially a political personality, and especially the President of the United States and one as beloved and as divisive as Donald Trump, his uh, his Twitter is immensely power powerful. It's a call to action. And it carries with it some level, some measure of force behind it due to his elected office. I don't think he doesn't know it. And of course he knows it. There isn't any way that Donald Trump doesn't know exactly what he's doing when he hits publish. Well, uh, Donald Trump has a right to fight back. He's only giving his opinion. What's wrong with that? Donald Trump gives up some of the... uh, the uh, not not comforts some of the when you become president you give up some things you're no longer a regular citizen who can shit post on the internet you're the president of the united states who commands the biggest military in the history of humanity and the biggest economy in the world and you need to do some things that are wise mm. Unless you got elected by an army of shit posters and you're the lead shit poster and that is who you are. <laughs> shit poster in chief. You know? But there's a human That's being. That's their identity. There, there's a human being. There's human beings on the other side of this stuff. Like they, at what point? But like Ryan do, said, I mean, they don't see them it. as people anymore. Yeah. That's how they can lash out at them. But my, my point is, so what? What's the what's the What's the... Like we what, need we need to cut do, through that, and we need to go. What is yeah. the right thing to do? What kind of society do you want to have? You want to have a society that's basically like it is now, where people are just lobbing horrible things at each other across this divide, which is getting wider and wider, with people stuck in their own echo chambers. Or do you want a society where people actually talk to each other, have conversations, and grow as a people together, and accept the fact that I don't have to hate you if I don't agree with everything you have to say. Just because something is the reality, it does not mean that you have to advocate for mm-hmm. it. Just because the reality is Donald Trump is a gross human being who is yep. a shit poster and uses his Twitter for evil half the time, 
uh, 90% of the time. <laughs> like, it doesn't mean that we have to advocate for accept that and, and, and accept yeah. it. You can say, you're the president of the United States. You should bear some responsibility for hitting publish, knowing full well the effect of what that tweet will do to somebody. His goal, let's be clear, his goal was to destroy Kathy Griffin. Now, we know that's who Donald Trump is, but that's not an excuse. Okay, and it's not a template to be copied, and that is the important point. We know Donald Trump's not going to change. He's a 70-year-old man who is never going to change his ways. But do we accept it as the norm? But do we we accept it as part of our culture? Or do we accept that – or do we point out that this is an an aberration that should not happen again? Right. So – Venue started to cancel my shows, she writes. I don't blame them. They were getting bomb threats and threats from donors about pulling funding. I bring this up to point out a key fact. My shows weren't canceled because ticket holders, my fans, wanted their money back. The shows were canceled because the president of the United States and his family were offended by an image. I released and decided to unleash an, and they released an army on me. That's what's not right, and that's what I object to. I'm an adult. I can deal with the fallout. I've dealt with it before. Now, uh, she 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 did say uh, that it wasn't released in the way that she was going to release it, that she had a reel of, of photographs and told her PR people, like, or the photographer to do whatever, and then the photographer basically, like, put it on TMZ. And then because it went out on TMZ, there was no context. There was no... You know, when you are when you are presenting things to the world, you know, I've done tons of launches and when you're doing a launch, you craft things in a certain way because if you don't write the story and tell the story and 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 set that template, then the world will make up the story for you. <laughs> you know, if Oh yeah, uh, imagine if you didn't edit the show and some someone random person right. edited it for you. It's it's that they would change your message taking, to say what they wanted it to. We don't know what Megan Kelly was talking about, but you can take that quote out of context and mm-hmm. make it assign whatever meaning you want to it. They, so, did, they did it to Jordan Peterson, and that's what these echo right. chambers are doing. They're making everything where you just see whatever you want to see in the, in the pictures, and you like this is America with Childish Gambino. He gave no context or no meaning to that video, and everyone gave their own meaning to it right and it's it's uh there's a tipping point at some point we'll have to start thinking for right. ourselves instead of just in this group think this share like, the share button. well well that, I, think, I think we we hope that that happens i don't know if we have to we can devolve into that kind of society well it it, it goes back to the um the argument about the nfl you're arguing things that aren't the truth. You're mm-hmm. arguing things that aren't the reality. You're arguing things that yeah, we, Donald Trump has yeah. set the template. If you're out there posting on Facebook, dear listener, about whether or not Colin Kaepernick supports the troopers or not, you have been propagandized and weaponized by Donald Trump well, the because you didn't too. pay attention. Well, the news media did it, too. It wasn't just Trump, but he, he did it, too. I mean, it's it's everybody. They immediately turned the conversation around from why you know take him taking a knee during the national anthem to you hate the flag right had nothing to do with the flag it was the national anthem to begin with and then it became the troops and it's like that has nothing to do with what was going on but the news stories within a week of this coming out started talking about oh this is disrespectful to the flag trump started saying this is disrespectful to the troops and the whole narrative got changed because 
if you say something often enough in the news media or in politics, it becomes the truth. Just like the, the Russian attack, you know, mm-hmm. hacked us and did all this stuff. You say it enough, even though there's no physical evidence that has been presented to the general population. Right. It becomes this is the truth. And if you don't believe it, you know. Yeah. The, the left media matters is just as guilty of it as Trump. Um. <clears throat> so I found a the well. They get played by Trump so hard. Too. A site with the whole thread. So two things in si- in hindsight. Jumping back, the point was sending the message about his sexism. Bullshit. Uh, I should have done a blow up doll instead of the mask. Um, <laughs> I allowed the message to get co opted. The photographer asked me when he should put it out, and I told him to do it when he felt best. Not releasing the. Uh, I shouldn't have released it without context. Um. She was mimicking a Der Spiegel. Uh, when TMZ put the photo up, the S hit the fan. Death threats started flowing in from uh, with critical tweets. Rosie O'Donnell called her, called her, and said, "What if Daniel Pearl's mother sees this? Call me my naive, but I had not thought about that connection, uh, so I deleted the photo and uh, and apologized." Um, so. Uh, then says I'm a comedian. I should be allowed to say what I, whatever I want. Like there's a weird thing going on right now. Like I'm a comedian, so I'm going to be a political pundit. And then when they get hit, I'm just a comedian. It's like you you uh, you I mean, have to decide. Like you you can either say political things or you can say funny things. Anything you say though, you should be able to take the response back for it, right? So right. if you're going to be an agent provocateur then you're going to be pushing envelopes and pushing people's buttons specifically to get a reaction. How can you be upset when you get a reaction? You're never going to get a great reaction. It's never going to be, oh, we all agree with you. You're a wonderful person. Let's raise you up and make you president. That's not going to happen. Okay, so she basically says Trump gives an order. Mm Mm-hmm. People will say to me, well, you started it. He was just responding. Okay, I'm a, com- a comic citizen responding to the president. I was punching up, and he was punching he down, and he uses his following to go after me, which was, was that an appropriate use of presidential power? I don't think so. Uh, some, someone in the group said, you know, I don't agree with this concept of punching up and punching down. You can, you can buy into that, but, you know, there are thousands of listeners, thousands of listeners of this podcast. If I chose a random listener to the show and I just started a campaign of constantly berating them and and telling you guys to think a certain way about a certain person eventually that works Mm -hmm. and you have 200 Twitter followers you can't fight back you can't fight back against someone who has a million wasting all of your energy doing that right and never can accomplish what you're looking to do anyway just wears you down so much or that, that becomes what you want to do is manipulation yeah someone like melissa donahy and i are pretty <laughs> equal in terms of our platform and melissa donahy you have no idea how hard it is to really counter someone who has had a three-year vendetta to make me look like a, <laughs> a misogynist and a racist and a you know like how how do you go back and fight that like how do you fight someone who is willing to just make things up about you you can't fight crazy y- you can't and so, really, you just make it worse by trying. <laughs> so I agree, you know. But I will say to Kathy Griffin, like, you knew who you were getting into a fight with. <laughs> it's not like the Donald. King of memes. <laughs> it's not like you don't know who you're getting into a fight with. Yeah, you knew the controversy was going to help your career. 
then she says Melania released a statement. Now, this Melania didn't write any statement. Melania didn't even know she released a statement. It was the White House press shop trying to gin up a controversy and used all the different levels. If it levers, if I want to put out a piece of content uh, on any platform that I have, I have ten different levels of ways to reach people, and you have these different levers of ways to present things to the to the media or to the press or to a public and you can pull out all the stops you know this wasn't a full court press but this was definitely something where the the white house team intentionally wanted to use this photo to get sympathy for donald trump and remember who was in charge of that at the time was still i think steve bannon wasn't it yes it was Mm. so there you go um I have a first right, right amendment to put out these images. People may not come to my shows. They may not buy my books, but I have the right. It's just plain wrong for the president to use his power to come after me or anyone else he is offended by. I agree. He can be offended. Uh, he, he can't, he can't it's, use... It's wrong for him to do it, but it's not... Hold on. We will get to the wrong yeah. part and the use of government force. And this is where I really started to get irritated. With, oh, well, he didn't use blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's yeah. like... He's the president. Anything he says, there's an inherent level of force. It's a, it is a, if you work at a company and you want to please the boss, <laughs> there's, there's certain, um, this is one of those dog whistles. Okay. This is one of those times where he's kind of hint, hint. Um, <clears throat> but putting out a even hint, hint, he, he says it outright. Right. To do stuff. Like he told, you know, during when he was running for office, and he's like, I'll pay your fines for if you go punch him, and then you'll punch him. Yeah. You know? Kathy Griffin has a right to say it. Absolutely. Without fear of any kind of prosecution or persecution from any or government physical agency. physical violence. Or physical violence. She has absolutely every right to say it. But you do that, you're probably going to get some shows canceled. There's consequences to what you say. So you have to be aware of that. I'm I'm... I'm not a total free speech absolutist, but I'm as close as humanly possible. Like, if you're a free speech absolutist, for instance, um, child pornography airing on television uh, is someone's right to free speech, and if you if you want that taken down, then you are violating their right of free speech in in uh, the private sphere. Like, um, there has to be certain limits and boundaries. There has to be some guidelines, right? <coughs> you guys need to talk now. <laughs> well, I mean, there's, there's boundaries in that, in the fact that child, you know, child pornography, of course, is it's a not, violation of the right of the person who's involved in it. I agree. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's not a free speech but issue, though. Even, yeah, be, child pornography. You're not guaranteed a, a platform either, right? I mean, nobody's right. guaranteed to say, okay, I want what I want on television. No, it's a private company, and they don't want to air it, and they're not going to air it. So you have a right to say what you have to say. You don't have a right to a platform to say it. Right. Right. So they, uh, the death threats were coming in at a rate we couldn't keep up with. The FBI told me there were real credible threats against my life. I had to hire security, and people were calling my poor 97-year-old mother threatening her life. Um, she then goes on to say, and this is the part that was shocking to me, uh, after I posted that apology, uh, video things calmed down in the midst of all this bomb threats were being called into my shows that had already been scheduled 
I later learned the bomb threats were robocalls. <laughs> so she says robocalls were being used. People were using machines to systematically and constantly call the phone numbers of the venues that were holding her comedy shows. If that's true, that's beyond the pale abuse. Like, that is crazy. Who was putting those together? That's Who planning. Was, that's not that's, somebody being angry and calling up and saying, ah, it's right. somebody who's like put something together. That's, that's creating an environment. Premeditation. Exactly right. And that's a huge, huge, huge thing that nobody's ever going to look into, but somebody should. Um, well, and then then you have to go back to who was in charge of the White House at the time and who does a lot of robocalling. Absolutely. You have to wonder. <laughs> there is, it may not have been followers at all. It could have been coming straight out of the White House. Check the area code of those robocalls. You know? Right. The shows were canceled because the President of the United States were offended by an image and decided to unleash an army. Um. So I guess it comes down to, like, at what point are you as a Trump supporter or a person who hates Kathy Griffin, at what point are you willing to say enough? Like, what's your limit? And I think, like, this... I this seen it. There's it, no limit. It's like this guy in uh, Virginia running for congress who is the child molester like let's just be honest I'm trying like, to say he's a libertarian too uh yeah he claims to be a neo-reactionary libertarian and the an libertarian ANCAP party and, said they kicked him out years ago they right. would never stand for any office for them ever. uh i was trying to uh we my boss and i as we drove to and from detroit listened to a ton of talk radio and glenn beck was on at that point because we were just like listening to like how do other people structure their their talk stations we were listening to Glenn Beck, and he was talking about hebophilia, and I was so mad that I knew that term thanks to our vice chair. Like, I read this story, and I just kind of go, never mind. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it's funny when you're, we were just like, all right. He's like, maybe I'm not going to listen to this show anymore. Um, so, you know, she did the press conference. That was a mistake. I won't, I won't bore you with any more of the details. But I'm saying uh, – but, like – and back in this segment was making the point of where's your line? Mm-hmm. So they started out, here's a candidate. Let's talk about his stance on taxes. He's for low taxes, if not none. All right, great. Where does he stand on this? Oh, that's great. I agree. Where does he stand on this? Awesome. Where do you? Where does he stand on child molestation? It's okay. Oh, okay. Uh, where does the – and then he goes, where does the Democrat stand? They're against child molestation, but against all that other stuff. So at what point does this guy's better than the lib, (laughs) this guy's better than the statist, at what point are you going to draw the line? You know, and this guy's going to get votes. There's going to be – How many people voted for Trump and how did – maybe he got elected just for that concept of, you know, we just don't want Hillary in. Yeah. So we'll take anything other than Hillary. Well, you got anything. Yeah, and Trump is not – Certainly not in this guy's. There's no moral equivalency no, no, between no. these two guys. But like, I thought it was a really salient point. Mm-hmm. In in these cultural conversations, where's your line? Yep. Are you going to stick up for the Hollywood liberal drug at drug addict when you're a Christian conservative baby boomer? Mm-hmm. Are you going to vote for the ANCAP who's running for Congress despite the whole child molestation thing? Well, he's better than the other guy. Are you going to? Allow Kathy Griffin to have robocalled death threats to her venues to destroy her career just because eh, I don't like Kathy Griffin. She uh, 
she's seems pretty liberal. Like, yeah. at what point are a, you willing to draw the line? A lot of those Trump followers who are into that are just they want to see the left taking down a right. peg. They want to see these these um, celebrities who are trying to preach them and say uh, that you should think this way and you should think that way, and they don't agree with it, and they want to see that cut down at the knees. Maybe not literally, but maybe some of them do, and that's sure. just scary. Is that they will go along with this right up to the point where it finally, it finally hits them that they've gone too far. Right, and I don't know where that line's going to be for a lot of those people because I think they have a lot of anger and frustration that they're trying to get out, and it's being fueled and for political purposes. Right, it's being tapped into. It's being right. fueled. It's being echo chambered up and ratcheted and ratcheted and ratcheted. So at what point do they go, we have gone too far? Right. I'm afraid to see where that line is because I don't think it ends without violence. If we if we break out we're of already this. Already past the logic line. Mm-hmm. No, we're, we're way past the logic <laughs> so, line. And, and libertarians are as guilty of it as anybody. Mm-hmm. I watch the libertarian movement sometimes and I just go, I don't know why I'm here. I, because I thought libertarians were the rational ones. I thought they were the ones who applied independent thinking to everything. And then – you know, you say, eh, I don't like the way Ron Paul handled that whole LP convention thing. And, you know, secret screenshots being released today just prove everything that, w- that the other side was saying was correct. And, and I didn't see that. You turn, you, you all of a sudden, I don't think we should listen to We Are Libertarians. That Spangle guy's suspect. He, he said something about Ron Paul that was suspect. Like, okay, I don't want you here. I don't want you listening to my show. Don't listen. If you're a stupid person who can't think for yourself, I don't want you listening to the show. Yeah, and if you're like, willing to actually have a conversation and let people maybe be wrong. Okay, so maybe right. you were wrong about what you said. Right. Maybe you were right. Sure. But if you're going to say, oh, that person said this about this per, you know, this person who I – where did the idolization come in Right. in, in this whole thing? It, it's the same thing with Trump. People are now idolizing him as this, as this person who's going to lead this, that, and do it. That's not, that's not leadership. That's um, – Lionization cult behavior. Yeah, that's almost cult behavior. The Time cover, the new one today. I haven't seen the time. Oh, he's looking in the mirror and he's got his suit on and his back to the cover. Oh, really? He's looking in the mirror and in the mirror, it's him dressed as a king. Uh, yeah, no, I, that's that's what they that's the vision they want you to see of him, though. Maggie, that's, that's but, the, but that's what always irritated me the most is when I was trying to tell Democrats, I'm like, don't give Obama all of this power because because he's not getting his stuff through Congress, mm-hmm. so we don't want to give him more power. Give him more power. I said, what are you going to do as soon as somebody comes? And I wrote this years ago. I said, what are you going to do when the next person comes into office and he's yep. maybe a Republican and he's doing something you don't like? You've just given him all of this power. When are you? What's going to happen then? And they're like, ah, it'll be fine. It's, yeah. We're not going to. I'm like, no, you don't understand. You're not going to like it, and they don't like it. Yeah, no, and it's they don't like it. Yes, Donald Donald Trump <laughs> made Ma- a mistake. Maggie Haberman nailed this. They don't they don't recognize it. That's yeah. the irritating part. Is nobody is coming to grips with we shouldn't have done this. This right. is our fault, right? They it's, just they're just like we. As long as you elect good people in there. Yep. They can be kings. Just maintain that. As long as it's the right people. But when you get the bad people, we get, you know, we should never have bad people in there. I'm like, that's going to happen. Yeah. Sorry. That's, and that's why the founding fathers said, we don't want them to have any that much power because we know that occasionally somebody's going to get in or he's going to be a jerk. So don't give him that much power. I'm just not going to participate in the thought crime game. Like, I, I just, 
Like if Donald Trump does, there is no doubt that Donald Trump sees himself as Maggie Haberman outlined, which is he used to go in, hang out with all these mobsters, hang out with all these tough New York guys in the seventies. That's how he made his living. That's how he thought he. That's how he thought he was going to run the White House because he was the king of the. He was the head of the hill. You know, he has no understanding. So I'm not down with that. Do I like the extra money I get in my paycheck? You're damn right I do. Mm-hmm. There are things that are good I like and bad the new about Supreme it. Court justice that we got. Yep, Neil Neil Gorsuch. Neil Gorsuch. I'm surprised. Is, I'm completely surprised. I yeah. don't know if he was intending, yeah, to pick somebody that was actually really libertarian in thought, but it looks like he did. Now we still have years to find out, but I'm happily kind of surprised. The people who are the most shrill about Donald Trump are the people who got involved in politics because of Donald Trump, mm-hmm. and they're the people who know the least about politics. It, They're the people who are brand new. People who are brand new to politics are usually the most shrill because they're the most insecure about their beliefs and ideology. If we were to get into a real conversation and a real debate, you're not going to be able to hold your own. So I better employ tactics to make sure that we don't ever actually have a real conversation because you might accidentally convert me and shake my worldview. You know, And I, that's just uh, like – us old timers need to kind of sit the youngins down and go. This is not how we do things in this country. Uh, you know, I'm not. I'm not going to uh, completely 100% fall in line behind Trump. Will I say when he does good things? Yeah, like Neil Gorsuch is a good thing. And and by the same token, on the left, do I think equality and justice are important? They're incredibly important. But we're not able to have those conversations because you're so focused on calling me a racist, you know, because I'm not a Democrat. Yeah. Like – They're not even listening to what you're really saying. No. Nobody's listening to anybody. It's like everybody's standing in a circle screaming at each other with soundproof headphones on. And it's just like not productive. I don't want to participate. No thanks. I'll just do my little podcast over here. You know, and and even if the libertarians are going to be like that. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take the I'm gonna take the libertarians that are like me and the people that are thoughtful, and we're gonna go over here and we're gonna have our own little thing like we do. We eat tea and Re- crumpets. Eat tea and crumpets. Mm-hmm. And watch out. the world burn. <laughs> Replace Donald Trump with Ron Paul in that conversation thing you just said. Yeah. Ooh. No, it's for, for sure. How many people are in a sure. party because of Ron Paul? Who'd me. Never been in politics before, or new to it, or trying to get pulled into by this new caucus. Right. That you can't have conversations. That's the irritating part. Right. All right. Well, I feel like we had one. Any other things you guys would like to say about this before we wrap up? I have a lot. I have a lot to say, but I understand your voice is probably going. So yeah, you can talk. <laughs> I don't have to. Well, <laughs> I want. I would kind of wanted to go back to the the cake. Yeah. Thing. Because I have a little bit to, to question about. Now, I, I'm not, I'm not going to be doing a lot of preaching at this point, but I want to say at what point was Gary Johnson right? Because I, I, I don't think at all. <laughs> well, but what do you, okay, so what do you think his position was? Well, in listening and watching that debate with Austin Peterson and John McAfee, where he said, he kind of like sheepishly said, yeah, I think they should have to bake the cake. It, it, like to me, that was that was the moment when that campaign really lost the heart and soul of everybody. Because even if he was trying to say you as a decent person should bake the cake, but the government shouldn't be involved, 
it didn't come out that way. Right, but what? But remember, when he answered that question, as soon as he did that, Austin Peterson jumped in and never gave him a chance to expand upon what he was saying. Sure. He did come out and say the next day what his what he was saying there. You're explaining you're losing. That's how politics but, works. But, yeah, true. But Austin's a great politician. What, but, but let's go back to what was being said, though. His, his, goal, his statement the next day or whatever on Facebook was that hundreds of years of jurisprudence have said that there is a specific type of – like when you open a business, you, you have an accommodation that you have to follow through, right? So if somebody comes in and says, hey, I want to buy something, you can't just you know, say, well, you're, um, you're black, get out. Right. Generally, it, right. You're going to offer – if you offer services, everybody can access those services. Right. So what he was saying was if you, if you – like if you make a cake and you have like 25 cakes sitting in a little thing and somebody comes in and picks one up and goes over and says, I want to buy this cake, you go, okay, I'll sell them the cake. Right. You, but if you go to them and say, well, you're black, so no, you can't – I'm not going to sell it to you, right? That would be not allowed under, le- under the law. Common law, right? Basically, right. But if you would come in and say, "Hey, I want you to decorate this cake in a certain way," then the person has a, a First Amendment right to say, "No, I'm not going to do that." And that's what he's he's always stated is that he always felt that that was never needed to be said because decorations, services, those sorts of things are covered under existing First Amendment law. Let me quibble with common law. <laughs> Why, why, if I want to discriminate people from a transactional business, why am I not allowed to? Because it's wrong. Of course it's morally wrong, but why is it legally wrong? Why are all our laws written? Because someone said something's wrong. Right. And that's well, why they wrote the law. So, so let, me, let me get into that a little bit. So if you go to the point to say that, let's say – Somebody walks into a Walmart, goes back and buys a bike off the back of the rack, takes a bike and goes up to the front and they say, well, I'm not going to sell it to you because you're black. All right. Do do libertarians support that as being part of society, acceptable part of society? Sure. I don't. No. Okay. But that's what you advocate for when you bring this up in a conversations because the everybody else hears – they're bringing back no colored allowed signs, and that's why they're saying this. I get the messaging problems right. with it. I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of people who listen to this podcast who are not yeah. here at this point in it because <laughs> they turned it off and said, oh, they, they support bigotry, which is not the case. Right. It, so, it's what role does the government play in that? Right. Now, most businesses, when they sign up to open up as a business right now, they have to open up a business license. They get certain protections from the government, too, at that point, don't they? Mm-hmm. So they get protections from like if you go after that business and you run it in, you know, you, you sue them to the point where they go have to go bankrupt. It's not affecting the person individually. You know, so they have protection from that business. Right. It's corporate protection. Corporate. Right. Um, while they're getting that protection, isn't there an uh, ex- expectation that they follow a, a basic level of a entrance into the marketplace for everybody based off of race, color and Gender. Yeah, but I'd argue why why should business licenses and corporations they should even exist. But that's my thing is right. is is we should be focusing on getting rid of the, as libertarians getting rid of that sort of stuff first, so that when somebody goes after and says, "Okay, I'm not going to let black people in my off into my business," that when the backlash comes, it doesn't just affect that business; it affects that person. It's a a real decision they have to make because 
they're affecting some other person when they make that decision to not allow them into the store. Right. So as libertarians, I think we need to be focusing on getting that stuff taken care of first and seeing if the issues that those laws were brought up to fight with before don't come back. So you could have communities that let's say they have five grocery stores in there and they get all their food from these specific suppliers. If those suppliers were to get together and those business owners were to get together in one of the clubs that we talked about beforehand Mm -hmm. and agree that we're not going to sell to anybody of color. Now this, this we're talking this 10, 15 people. A cartel, basically. Yeah, a little cartel a, a that runs. Cartel, right. right. That could happen. Sure. So how do you fight against that? And it doesn't necessarily be black people, but people aren't the most logical and free-thinking people in the world. They, What happens if there's another terrorist attack? Now this anti-Muslim thing that's already kind of swirling anyway ratches it up real quick. Now you're impacting a whole society out of fear-based thought processes by human beings when do we as libertarians say we need to protect the rights of those minority people, those individuals who are being uh, uh, unable to enter the market, the free marketplace fairly, right? Mm-hmm. Is that is that a right that we should be protecting or not as as libertarian? The the <clears throat> freedom, the of free entry? entry into the marketplace, yeah, unrestricted. Well, so. Here, here's the part of what I've been thinking about this discussion, um, and I totally zoned out, so I didn't hear your question. Uh, so you can repeat <laughs> your question, or we can talk about what I want to. Um, Go ahead. No, I'm just as, as libertarians. <laughs> as libertarians, where do we? Where do we? Is is there a right to free entry into a marketplace, an inalienable right? That if we're going to focus our society around the market, it's, but it's a functional exist. I mean, it's it's. It's not a matter of – like in a libertarian society, for instance, it, like the government can have businesses li- business licenses and control who has access to a market. That's part of the problem w- with it is that you can use the force of government to compel those business owners to act in a way that is against their conscience. Mm-hmm. In a free market society where you don't have licensor, licensure – I can't say that word mm-hmm. – uh, you don't – it's not a matter of allowing entry. It's a matter of does the person have the capital to set up a, right. a shingle on the outside and, and join the marketplace. The marketplace, people in and their own economic interest will then choose whether or not that person is yeah. a, a worthy member of that community, that, that marketplace. But it, But is it always economically based thought processing? It's emotional. It's sometimes fear-based. No, but I would argue that people, by and large, will always choose their economic benefit over the good of society. So McDonald's, for instance, just announced today that people order more food at a kiosk, and so therefore they're going to eliminate most of their cashiers and implement the kiosks. But then you also have ABC, who took their number one show that they haven't had those – no – no broadcast that had, uh, company had had those kinds of ratings for years mm-hmm. and dumped it because of one tweet. Instead of finding a solution, they, that wasn't an economic decision. That was, we are not going to be that type of company. We don't care about profits. We yeah. care about this yeah, but ideology. They know 
that with the organized left, when move on with yeah, all these companies, it's going to cost you far more. more to fight that. And yeah. keep I don't right. agree. I think ABC, the people running ABC, are part of that thought process. They are right. a whole in that they don't care about economics as much as they care about imagery and what they represent sure, as a company. There's definitely a transactional person in the room going, yeah, it's going to cost us $60 million, but it's going to cost us $100 million. In if They'll boycott all of Disney if, they don't, if we all don't they, do all they had to do All they had to do for Roseanne was say, okay, we're spending her for six months. Right. And she has to initial, initial apology. It could have been done, and they could have still had that show on. They did not want that. They wanted to make an example of her and say we're willing to. They got rid of um, the ratings were the also, other show. The ratings were also dropping for that show. So I, I still argue that it's 50-50. I get what you're saying, and I understand what you're saying, but I also think that at the end and, of the day, people are transactional about their money. And because economic resources – represent prehistoric parts of our brain where it's security. It's, you know, we don't worry about the food that's in our belly necessarily is for the most part, but we worry about the ability to put food in our belly next week. Yeah. But and think about this. If you're, if you have a fear that you're going to be a victim of a, a Muslim blowing up a building, mm-hmm. would you pay a little bit extra money to go to a company that, ensures that no Muslims are allowed in that building. Yeah. That's a thought process that people have to make. I mean, I'm not arguing at all for we need government regulations for all of this stuff, blah, blah, blah. But I think we have to think about some of these edge cases. No, I get, I got a text message from the edge cases really control the markets though. They're I, I, still, you're still, but still those edges people, are never going to be able to. But they control. still affect actual real people. No. And if you're not protecting minorities, and and I do think that we're at a point where edge cases, meaning you know the the things that are at the far ends of a spectrum, have in some ways because of our echo chamber online have become the norm for people. I think people think yeah. that there's probably. You know, I'm listening to Vox the Weeds podcast on this on this cake thing, and I about hit a pylon as I'm driving because they say they they said you know civil rights was insidious because it was systematic and they were robbing people of their free association. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the to the to the gay cake issue, we're ten years away from where that was happening, and we don't know necessarily what w- what the landscape of wedding vendors are. But it seems like this is probably a one-off, so it seems like kind of an overreaction. Now, this was Vox, mm-hmm. okay, which is a left-leaning. I about yeah. I couldn't believe that they said it. I, I think it was in the gym. I about died of heat stroke. Yeah. But um, my my point being is that you, those those edge cases, like the gay cake thing, mm-hmm. I think people think that people who don't really pay attention think that. Everybody out there is just being discriminated against, and nobody's getting a gay cake. Right. When in reality, it's it's one guy who's probably a decent person telling two other decent people, "I just don't want to do this, man. I'm so sorry. I'll make you cookies," you know. And then and then it just like gets picked up picked up by that grist mill where it's just like, mm-hmm. now he's the devil, they're the devil. 
you know, uh, everybody in the world is not getting gay cakes. It's and it, and in reality, we're talking about one person, one situation, out of as millions a, of people, out of millions of transactions a year. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm sure there's millions of of people getting gay married every year, and they have cakes. And we're not, we don't have this overwhelming. That's why things like the Chicago shootings stand out. The mass, you know, the mass shootings too are, are are part of that kind of. I don't know what it is. Is it the? It's like the public bathrooms too. I mean, that was brought up. That's right. Gary Johnson was like, "Why are we talking about this? This is such right. a non-issue." Meanwhile, yeah. Social Security in eight years mm-hmm. is not going to be functional. Like, it was shocking. We are going to by the by the by the next decade, in, in less than a decade, we're going to have bankruptcy talks or you're going to have to majorly cut inflation's going things to by hit. 20 yeah it, it's it's we got real problems mm-hmm. all right that's but enough instead of we spent a whole episode talking about whiners on the internet <laughs> i think it matters because i think it's what people it is i think it yeah. really is affecting got, people's yeah. happiness it's like this mm-hmm. like the conversation i just had now i i agree on both sides of the issue i mean i i i fall back and forth through that whole thought process because i don't think it's a done thought process in the libertarian community and definitely not myself. And I don't think anybody should make that as a, it's got to be this or it's got to be that. Let's have those conversations. Right. And that's, that's what really irritates me most about echo chambers is that you, you go outside of what somebody thinks in a conversation, even if you're playing a devil's advocate role, uh, which I do a lot um, just to say, well, what about this? Just try to push people to think about their, their thought process and say, other philosophy and say, okay, have you thought about what happens here? What have you thought about what happens here? I mean, I go off on a whole rant about the uh, the homeowners association thought processes and the libertarian sure. community, but um, it's it's those it's those conversations that people try to shut down because they don't. It's almost like they don't want to have their th- thought process challenged, right? They they don't want to think outside the bo- their box or what they've been told or what they've been trained because how many times you have a conversation with somebody and you start pushing them on those little things and you start getting to them a little bit and they just can't respond they don't mm-hmm. know how to defend their own philosophy so they say oh go read this link or go watch this video or go read this book and it's like you should be able to explain it to me you should you be able to have this conversation if you it. can't have it admit that hey I don't know I'll have to think about this and then go do that and go think about it yourself not. Well, you're just wrong, and I just don't have down. the time to yep. explain it to you, so you just go read this. And listen, I'm a thin-skinned person, and it's why I don't run my own Facebook page at this point, because like, <laughs> like, I have to let Stone and Phyllis and and uh, Jake and uh, you, like I have to let you guys post and run it. Like Stone does a great job of managing our social accounts now because i just look at it and i just start getting mad at people and calling them idiots and then drive the numbers down you know like we're uh, we're up a thousand in like a month because stone's running it as opposed to down 500 because i'm running it and it's not that i'm i'm it's what i do for a living too it's just i just get so irritated mm-hmm. but uh, like i find myself somebody who is very level-headed who can sit here and have that conversation with reinhold where like I'm trying to understand what he believes. He's trying to understand what I believe. I I don't know that I necessarily agree. We're trying to figure out where the edges of the conversation are, yeah. you know. But online, it's like, don't you disagree with me? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> online, it's like, uh, you know, uh, you're just stupid. You're yeah, because you're just a status. It's like I just post things and I don't. I I mark unfollow on it, so I may or may <laughs> not. I have to be in the right emotional state to read comments. Because people don't even go and read it. They don't go and read 
or watch or no. engage in the content that yeah. you've read that you Discord, think is yeah. interesting. They, they, don't, is better, they don't even read it. They don't, they don't even open be, it. It's better because you can have kind of a chat. And, yeah. and I get into those conversations in the Discord, and I try to do the edge things. And there's a couple guys in there that I I can tweak pretty well, you know. Um, and we get into some really long conversations. But at least they're conversing. They're at least having right. the conversation. It may not be the best form. And, because they know at the end of the yeah. day – on some level, you respect them. Yeah, you're not, not trying to embarrass them. You're not trying to lower their social rank. You're not like, and that's really what it is. Is the, the, we're still going to be friends afterwards. Social media is is just mm. all a vanity play on people's social rank in society. Everything is about trying to look bigger than you are, so you can attract women or men, so you can propagate the species. You can money is important. So like, why does why does everybody on Tinder? Yep. A friend asked today, she says, why does every guy put that they like travel on their Tinder? I go, because every girl puts that they like traveling mm-hmm. on Tinder. And so every guy wants to show that they have enough disposable income to take them on trips. So uh, so they'll be interesting. And then they display that they have enough income and resources to to be a potential mate. That's all it is. Yep. It's, it's meow meow beans. <laughs> Do you ever see Community? No. Oh, in community, they do an episode where they uh, a social network comes in to test at the community college, and it's meow meow beans. Uh-huh. But you, basically, you rank everyone in the school out of five meow meow beans, and then they create a class system where the fives rule, and the <laughs> ones are you know just like just like right. that. And you only can go in certain areas of the school if you're ranked this high. And it, it's you should watch it. Community's right. great, but that's mm-hmm. what you're, that's that's what it, it's. Well, and China's doing something like that right now. Where that you can and actually social credits, yeah, you social credits wow. and you vote on people, and, and that was actually in a, in a book I was telling you about before, where he he planned that out. A new society would was going to crop up in in is a book called Damon, uh, D A E M O N. So it was, um, yeah, the 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 person died. All these things woke up, took over the the country basically, and implemented this new system where people were had these virtual augmented reality glasses on and you would see somebody and you could vote them up or down based off your interaction with them. And then when you saw this person, you would see their, their right. ranking and you know whether or not to stay away from that. People person in China are, and now they're doing it yeah, in no, China. It's, it's been going on. We talked about it at the beginning of it here on the show at some point, like years ago mm-hmm. and people now because of the social credit system are not getting jobs. They're not getting mm-hmm. access to transit. They're not getting, I mean, you can lose yeah. your job for stuff you say on Facebook. I yeah. mean, there's a reason why I use Reinhold. Mm-hmm. Right. I use Adrian. because back in the day, I I was very conscious of that. I, I have companies I work for. I don't want have to worry about that association. Um, you can you can be turned down for jobs based off what you say on social media. That's part of the process now, and it's accepted as part of the process. I just decided to make my own job, and yeah. <laughs> so I could say That's the best way to do it because it's like I want to say whatever I want to say, and I still, even though because I'm employed at a respectable institution. Like if I didn't if I didn't have a day job and I did this full time, you people wouldn't believe what was coming out of my my <laughs> mouth and Twitter. Facebook, we didn't have that though. Yeah. You know, like we 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 had a sen- I feel like the internet had a sense of of being anonymous. You could be anonymous on the internet, and I, now I, that that's kind of gone. I, I, yeah, I. But you look at the people who are robocalling Kathy Griffin. It's like there's still that that still exists. But I I personally don't like anonymous. I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and some Jeremiah doesn't use the Discord. It's it's why I'm not a big fan of the. <laughs> uh, it's not that I'm not a big fan of the Discord. It's that you I like want code names. 
I want to build a relationship with somebody. I'm a relational person, and Jeremiah is too. And so when you're in a group of strangers and you don't know who anybody is, you can't really build a relationship with somebody. You can have fun and interesting chats with them, but you're not going to like go to their funeral if you will remain anonymous the whole time. So, so, And for me, We Are Libertarians is about building a community of people who have shared values. We're libertarians. We are we're striving for decency we're striving for these certain things and so and we're also you know things like liberty and chill we're uh we've just put the finishing touches on a couple things and I'm going to start rolling that out cuz I want that to be a social club for people that idea of the rotarians from 100 years ago yeah. I want liberty and chill to be that for you in your local community where you're inviting people regardless of race, color, creed, political persuasion, religion. Like if you just want to come have fun and meet some people and talk about stuff in a safe environment, uh, then that's what this is about. And it's you an know, inclusionary club, it, not an exclusionary. Exactly right. You know, And by and large, it's going to be libertarians congregating with each other to find some purpose and meaning in social activity. And well, I was at the one um, a while back in. Uh, a friend of Harry's was there. I think mm-hmm. he might have been a friend of yours. Um, but he was full-blown progressive Democrat. Right. And he was just hanging out with us. And we got a great conversation at, at, at right. that. Um, and and so it doesn't have to be just libertarian. It just has to be people who are willing to hang out with cool people who are open-minded, who are going to have conversations. Um, but they're not going to be judgy. You know, as long as it's, that doesn't become a, it, yeah, it stays that way. Oh man, I better stay away from these yeah. events. I've never been to one, but I'm going to judge everyone we, if I go. I do. It. <laughs> <laughs> you don't tell them that you're judging. You openly, judge they came quietly. They came to this bar event and they're drinking seltzer water. Shh, mm. Shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Judgment. Shut your mouth. No, I, we find meaning in other people, and we we have let. I I think uh, part of it is the. Are we losing empathy as a society? Yeah. Um, I think Ayn Rand and objectivism. Like, if I ever meet somebody who's an objectivist, I I try not. Remember Lauren? Yeah. Rumpler? Oh, yeah. You met one. You worked with her. I know. I (laughs) I dated one. That's why I have this bias. (laughs) I wouldn't say date. I just had my heart ripped out. It's fine. I'm not. I'm over it. Um, <laughs> I think. I think we lose empathy on the internet. Just yeah, because it's you're not face to face with someone, yep. so you don't. You're not constantly reminded by the fact you could see them that they are a human being. That you th- almost start thinking, "Oh, this is a computer game." Almost this is, you know, AI. These are people. They're people. You get. It's it's amazing that that can actually happen where you can be talking to somebody online and completely lose the reality of them being an actual human being that you're talking to. Yeah, it's uh, episode 136. Stuart Huff is a stand-up comedian that uh, Greg and I talked to. And he talked about, it's one of my favorite moments of We're Libertarians of all time, where he talks about people running towards a car crash, and they're not sitting there running going, I hope this isn't a Jew. Oh yeah. I wonder if this person's black. They're going, that's a human who is in trouble. I'm there to help. You know, and 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 I thought that was a, such a great illustration. Yeah, like I was saying, I think we have um, as libertarians. Sometimes I, I hear Jason Stapleton, and I don't mean to criticize because I like Jason a lot. Uh, I listen to him talk about the culture war, and he's like, "I don't want to wait." He's it's he just doesn't want to wait into it, right? 
Uh, anybody can do whatever they want as long as the government isn't involved. I agree, but I also kind of don't agree because people have the right to live differently than me, think differently than me, believe differently than me. But if you want to do heroin, for instance, you can do that. That's your right. But is that the right thing for you to do? No. Uh, there are self-destructive tendencies, and the way that you get out of those self-destructive tendencies is through the help of other people. Yeah. You know, we find meaning, and we find rescuing, and we find help in friendship, and family, and, and group dynamics. And the idea that we're all individuals who are isolated onto our own island, and I don't need other people, and I don't need—I'm just going to think for myself, and this— that's not what individualism is. Individualism is the idea that you own yourself, Mm -hmm. but we still have some level of community and and, because you're just, you're, you're never going to not have people around you. So you libertarians love to figure out how to build a society without government, but never think about what society looks like on the other side of that. (laughs) And I always, I always check, individualism not just as you stated but also that you aren't you don't have to pay the sins for anybody else based off of any identity that you are part of like you are you and you're a product of your own experiences and thoughts and um, relationships that have built you so just because you might have the same facial structure as somebody else doesn't mean you're anything like them or you like the things that they like or like if you're a part of the black community and you don't like rap music, it's like, yeah. so hey, it doesn't, you don't have to, it's not a part of thing that you need to be like right. a, a white person doesn't like, <laughs> like square dancing, even though apparently that's racist now that Henry Ford invented racism, ra- invented square dancing for racist reasons. I don't, I, just, I don't know if I you don't heard about a, that. I don't give a fuck. I don't <laughs> give a fuck. But it's like you should <laughs> like, be an individual. There's no person that who makes no sense. There's no person no, right now square dancing somebody, going, I hate those black people. Like, somebody actually wrote off. this as an article last week. It's hilarious. But um, <sighs> whatever. But, but as an individual, now. though, you, you, you shouldn't be like judged based off of what other people who are like you have done. Or yeah. it, You're your own individual. And you have yeah. to start seeing people as individuals. Not just uh, in a legal sense, but just understanding that, you know, everybody brings something unique to the table and you can learn something from anybody. All right. So final thoughts. Chris Galt. I have one thing to say. Why have we been in Afghanistan for 17 years? <laughs> there are kids. Why in, are we still there? <laughs> there are kids fighting. That's in my Af- final thought. There are kids in Afghanistan who are fighting, who have no cognizant memory of 9-11. How many people remember society without us being at war it's been so long i mean i do because i'm old but a lot of people don't and it saddens me he's nearly a years me he's almost a two boomer. years out of a, being a boomer a boomer wow and and chris was saying earlier <sighs> that us old guys need to tell the youngins and i'm just sitting there going disgusting hey <laughs> uh reinhold final thoughts um i just uh it was a great episode i like I said, I think we could go forever on this on these yeah, topics, but we kind of um, did. But 
I said I had a lot to say. <laughs> you did too. Yeah, you did. Yeah, let's say. So hopefully, to, you don't pay. You for got it, it tomorrow. off, and you sounded good. I've just I'll been. Tell you that. I've been sitting playing Mario Kart in my apartment for three weeks without the ability to talk to everybody, and just like I've been posting way more on Facebook because it's just like I'm. I've got a lot to say to you people. <laughs> but uh, nope, it's been and and it was a great talk and great conversation. Um, we yeah. will we will see how my voice is tomorrow. I'm feeling a little I'm, I'm not feeling great right now. Uh, so we may and I apologize to everybody who expects two a week, but if the next couple of days isn't great, I may do one episode a week until I kind of get this cleared up here in the next it was probably the next two weeks it should be fine. But hopefully by convention. Oh yeah. So, uh just to let you know, uh if there is only one episode next week, that's why I just don't want to I don't want to do anything that will permanently hurt my voice or require, you know, you can get polyps and stuff like that. So I got to be careful with it. But uh, really great to come back and talk to you guys. Want to thank Brandon Luke, Craig DaCosta, Christy Avery, and Jason Doolittle. Jason's actually coming into town. Uh, so very excited to have him on the program. Nice. Uh, so uh, that'll be next month. Can't wait to go to Pork Fest. Uh, going to have uh, Roger Paxton. We're going to fight. Mud wrestle, probably a little pudding fight. Uh, maybe get down to our skivvies and uh, finally settle this. Minarchist versus anarchist, who wins? <laughs> uh, National Libertarian Convention. I will be at the National Libertarian Convention. If you are going, I want to meet you. Up. I want to meet you. Uh, I will be there Monday and uh, really just kind of Sunday, Monday. So I leave early on Tuesday. So. Uh, there's a radio row, apparently, so hopefully, if I ever hear back from the National Party uh, about my credentials after two months, uh, hey, LP, there's one media outlet on the planet that gives you a fair shake. It's me. Treat me with more respect. Pieces. Never mind. I uh, love Wes, love uh, everybody up there. They're they're doing their best. They're working hard and busy. Uh, but get, really, this is crazy unprofessional so uh and i am going to podcast movement in july in philly so very excited about it. always wanted to go to podcast movement uh so i will be there if you're going let me know uh very excited to learn about more about uh, the tech of podcasting and see what's new out there so that that's gonna be fun three major trips in the span of mm. one month i his and Tinder profile more, says travel. There'll yeah. be more stuff for this. <laughs> there'll be more stuff for the uh, Chris Bengel show on how to do podcasting when you come back from that. Right? Yep, absolutely. Nice. Yep, I've got I've got the platform already kind of all built out. I just have never gotten around to it. So, all right, thanks for joining us here on the program, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Are Libertarians. I'm amazed you made it to the very end, and I appreciate that. And that means that you were a true fan of We Are Libertarians, and any true fan of We Are Libertarians, should listen to our other podcasts. We have a whole network of shows. We have The Chris Spangle Show, where I talk about many of my varied interests that aren't political, a lot of podcasting talk, if you're interested in getting involved in podcasting. The Brian Nichols Show. Brian talks to a lot of different folks from the left, the right, the center, libertarian movement. If you love We Are Libertarians, you will love The Brian Nichols Show. The Boss Hog of Liberty. The Boss Hog has basically created a media empire in his small town and has taken over along with his co-host D Dakota Davis. I think it's really interesting to see how they've built a media network, and I encourage you to do the same. Upward Political Training, it's a podcast where I've put a lot of training for libertarians on how to spread the message. 
The cost, this is a podcast where we break down the human costs of government policy. So be sure to check that out. Raw Audio Politics, where basically I take unedited speeches and interviews and stuff that I want to listen to, and I put it in a podcast feed for you. Miranda's World. Miranda is one of the craziest human beings in a good way that I've ever met. She's so entertaining and so much fun, and I think you will love that. And who could not listen to Tad Talk? Tad Western brings you the rootness, tootness, good time this side of the Mississippi. So be sure to check that out. He's one of the funniest human beings that I know. And if you are chubby and you need to get in shape, then you can't outrun the fork with Brett Bittner, where he talks about keto. Yes, I gave Brett Bittner a show. And you can check out a bunch of other podcasts at libertarianpodcasts.com. I have put together all of my favorite libertarian podcasts up there at libertarianpodcast.com, including our friends Lions of Liberty, The Lava Flow, The Johnny Rocket Launchpad, uh, The Scott Horton Show is one that I definitely think you should be listening to. So go check that out. Lots of great libertarian podcasts out there. You may not know where to start. Start there. And we've also got a comprehensive list of all the libertarian podcasts I can find. Thank you for listening. And if you love We Are Libertarians, please check out all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Thank you for listening to the We Are Libertarians Network. Get our other shows at wearelibertarians.com.